Episode number 63. What are you typing over there? Oh, I got notes aplenty. Do you really? Oh, there's a lot going on. What do you got? What do you, what do you, I mean, but, do you, but you're typing like you're frantic. You know, <laughs> have you typed since the last time I saw you? Do you just start the note taking when you arrive here at the house? How does it work? Well, no, no. I've God, you're frantic and you're hurting the keys. Can you type a little bit softer? There's people at Microsoft. I swear it looks like they're fake typing. It's crazy how, how good fast. They're. Oh, I cannot. I it cannot. looks like you're joking around by just going like this. Oh, and I'm just like, oh, yeah. Can you type? Do you know how to type? Uh, I'm do you old. hunt hunt and peck or no? No, no, I can type type. I mean, if you can't yeah. type and you work, you have a job. Like, a, a, forget about it. Oh, I can't type. Well, that's why you don't work at Microsoft. Is that, <laughs> that's the only reason. one of many reasons. <laughs> if yes. you can't type, you're going to be in. So for read. It. To, I mean, what what are you typing so much? I mean, is well, any, I anything you. interesting? Anything funny? You were in Burbank, California. Did you type in Burbank, California? I actually was not in Burbank for the first time in five weeks. I go next week. I took this one off. Stayed home with, with the fam. Oh, but I thought you and I discussed this, that you were leaving the last time I saw you. No? You knew you were not going the whole time? This week? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I told you. I'm off this week, but then okay. I'm going next Did week. you send somebody in your stead, or was there no function? How does that work? I sort Did of, you see the Saturday night? I, I, I thought of you on Saturday Night Live last night. I haven't got to it yet. I just I can't get to it. It's usually a Sunday they thing. They do Chance the Rapper, whom I don't know who that is. Yeah. I have no idea who it is, and I asked the question of of, uh, of movie mogul Max as we were watching it. Why does he get the chance to both host and do the music? I thought he would be a music performer. He was the host oh. and the music performer, and they did a very uh, what I what we thought was a very funny skit, and it just kind of it made me think that maybe this is what you do. He did. He was an, an MSG network reporter who normally covers the Knicks <laughs> yeah. that they assign to an esports deal. <laughs> And That's he was trying. It, it was very, very That's funny. funny yeah. And as they were as they were doing this skit, I was completely thinking oh, that you were in Burbank or yeah. whatever. And this is this is kind of what you do. I would I would think that you would find this skit funny. It's not what I do, but yeah, it yeah. is kind of funny. I mean, some of the, the, the people who play esports, not they're not media trained. They're not typically a bunch of talkers or. Super yeah. social people. Yeah. So it is like, was that what the sketch was? Kinda a little like, bit. Yeah. yeah. There, was a, there was a very funny. I'm not going to ruin it for okay. you. Go, go back and watch the sketch. Oh, I'll get to and it. And report. Eventually. Will you get to it before Thursday's uh, oh, yeah. episode 63p? Yeah. yeah. Go back and watch the sketch, and All then right. you tell me whether you thought it was funny. That's good. It's a good yeah. idea. Very, very funny. Yeah. So you were not in Burbank this week. Right? I wasn't. There's I sort of sort of coached somebody up uh, who to kinda, do it. Kind of did what I do, and yeah. I'm not necessarily needed. I mean, the show ran without me there and yeah. without our producer. So, yeah, we were told to stand down for one, make sure the company we pay to run it can do right. it, and then we're good. When you when you coach somebody else up to do it, is it kind of like my Aunt Tess? Thing coming. I is, know it. Is it kind of like my Aunt Tess and her recipes? You want to know about my Aunt yeah, Tess and sure. my recipes? Yeah. I, my great Aunt Tess used to be a great cook, baker, whatever she was in our family. Okay. And um, the rumor was that everybody would ask her for her recipes, like my mother, she was actually my great aunt Tess, so she would be my father's aunt. Gotcha. Yeah. So my father's aunt, my mother by marriage, and she was she was renowned in the family as being the best cook, the best chef, whatever, the best baker. And she, people would often, family members like my mom would often ask her for her recipes, yeah. and it never came out quite as good. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the and the rumor was they all thought that she would. Hold out. She would hold off on a couple of ingredients. She would send Sabotaging the it? she would send the recipe minus like a couple of ingredients, yeah. so it didn't come mm-hmm. out just right. Because she never. So I'm, 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 you're telling me about how you're coaching somebody out to yeah, go. Yeah. I'm assuming you you coached him up to do what you do, but you left out a few ingredients, so they're not quite as good and proficient at doing what you do as you are. Because otherwise. 
they could they could replace you down the line. Yeah, I mean, Mr. Miyagi could still kick the Karate Kid's ass, right? I mean, he didn't <laughs> teach him exactly everything. You got to make sure. I don't want to coach myself out of a job, for God's sakes, right? Why do we only remember about Mr. Miyagi, <laughs> the chopsticks and the fly? I know, it's great. And he was on Happy Days, too. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was. Uh, yeah, that's right. He yeah. was. Did he? He replaced. Yeah, he replaced Arnold, right? Was Arnold first? I can't remember who was first. Yeah, I don't remember who was first. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what Arnold used to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but the chopstick fly thing was so cool. What a but cool But there were scene. so many other things that were much more cool, but somehow we just remember the chopsticks and the fly. Yeah. Did you watch the new series with them? The new no. Cobra Kai? No. There's a new series on, you have to be a YouTube Red member, but there's no. a whole series with Ralph Macchio, the kid that played Johnny. It's kind of about Johnny's life post the tournament like 40 years later and how, how things are going and i watched the first six and i haven't finished no, it but it was good no, not interesting all right not well, in- so is there anything before we begin episode 63 is there anything over there that you'd like to that you're typing away that's interesting that you'd like to share with us anything that you'd like to yeah i mean i saw him entertain michael, us with michael jordan picked his all-time pickup team did you see that i was fascinated by that his Somebody, all-time pickup team so like if he had to pick four players ever in the history you know in their prime who would he pick to be on his team to be the best pickup team of all time and who are they well scotty pippen of course right oh well, his that's buddy a joke why is that a joke they well, played he, well together yeah but i went of all time well, players guess, of all time scotty pippen would be one of the four players he'd pick to be that's just that's just because he's he's buddies with well because he can boss him around too pippen will probably do what he, he says he can boss <laughs> anybody around michael jordan can boss michael Michael Jordan can boss Magic Johnson around. Well, he had Magic. That was his other one, too. So Pippen, Magic, Akeem Olajuwon, and James Worthy, I thought was kind of interesting. No Larry Bird. That one stuck out to me. Larry Bird. I've told no you Larry Bird. No Isaiah Thomas. We know no, no Isaiah Thomas. No, no. No, no. no now, Isaiah Thomas. Could you pick a team to beat them of five players in their prime? Can team? I have Jordan? No, no. It's You're playing against Jordan. Oh, no. Yeah. I think any team, you'd have to have Jordan on your team. Okay. So to have any chance, right? That's the best five of all time right there. That's the best. And who, who's his five? Magic. Jordan, yeah. Magic, Jordan, the guards. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon at the center. And then Worthy and Pippen at the forwards. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Man. There's a couple guys on that team that I, don't, I, I wouldn't put on my team. Like but they've got Michael Jordan, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. The like, game's over. Who don't you like <clears> on there? Pippen and Worthy? Yeah. I wouldn't put either one of those guys. Really? On my all-time team, my yeah, all-time sure. pickup team, yeah. those guys are not like two of the best five guys okay. in the history of pickup basketball. You're going, you going like Carl Malone, I'd have LeBron to think about James. it. How about Allen Iverson? The first guy that comes uh, to my mind in a pickup game would be Allen Iverson. I don't know why. He just he just jumps into my mind yeah. like as a, as a guy that you'd want on, on your team. So that's what you've been typing away. That's what you've been punishing the that's, keys on your on your <laughs> keyboard for the for the for the all time Michael Jordan pickup team. I think I do type harder than a lot of people. Yeah. People you're not the first one to say that. Yeah. And I think it comes from running a radio board. Remember the buttons were like kind of thick and you had to kinda of hit them hard? They packed a punch. You remember that? No. no, you didn't run a board. I guess no. you were always talent. Like, what do you know about running I did. boards? I ran boards back in back in my day. I did playing JB's theme. <laughs> I did. I I, uh, I ran a board in Washington D.C. every once in a while. I see the Rams want to trade people. What about Hakeem Talib to help out the Seahawks? Is that interesting to you or no? You think the Rams are going to be trading guys within the division to teams that are they're duking it out with for the division? I, I I'm wondering whether Patrick Peterson, whether the Cardinals would trade. Patrick Peterson to the Seahawks. I don't think the Rams would trade. I don't think the Seahawks and the Rams are making a trade together. No. For, the right, for the right deal? No. 
I don't think they're making a trade. I, I think right. that's highly, highly unlikely that the Rams and the Seahawks or the 49ers and the Seahawks make a deal in the middle of a season where the three teams are are jostling for position. Now, the Cardinals are kind of interesting. They're in the division, but out of it. And they're they're rebuilding, and Patrick Peterson, I don't know how good he is. I know he played on Sunday for the first time in a while. I think maybe the, maybe it was the previous Sunday, but um, he might be somebody that the, the Seahawks should look at. We'll get to the Seahawks. It's episode 63, we've got to start here. You were not in Burbank. I got it in my notes that you oh, were wow. in Burbank. So I, I don't know. We should probably do do it all over again. I'll be there in like five days, so you it's going to be great. Yeah, it was like 90 this past weekend in Burbank. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, MitchUnfiltered.com. I happen to like Podcast Addict. Mm. If you are an Android user like me, by the way, if one show is not enough each week, you can get multiple shows each week. We do another second long show each Thursday. It's released each Thursday. All you got to do is become a patron at MitchUnfiltered.com for as low as $5 a month. Constantly plugging himself. Constantly plugging. Good Lord. Have access to that second full show on Thursdays, plus the mini podcasts every week on fantasy football and NFL picks with RJ and Larry. I wonder whether we're killing our patron numbers by doing such long shows on Monday. You ever thought about that? What's the tip? You're a podcast listener. Yes, when you when you tune into a podcast, don't give me Joe Rogan. I don't want to. I don't want to know from Joe Rogan anymore. I don't, I don't okay. listen to Joe Rogan. Oh, you don't listen to Joe no. Rogan. I thought everybody gonna, else. Does. Everybody <laughs> hammers me with Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Just a normal podcast. When it comes to when it comes to other podcasts, how long are they? When you because I don't listen to other podcasts. I'm going to be tell you right now. I probably have never listened to another podcast, maybe one or two. When you sit down and listen to a podcast, how long typically is that? I mean, ours are going now two, three hours. Every Monday, we release a podcast that's upwards of two and a half to three hours. And I'm thinking, God, it's so long that why would people want to become a patron for a second show on Thursdays when they can't get through the Monday show in time for Thursday. I mean, if we did like a 30-minute podcast, bam, 30-minute podcast, and people listen to it on Monday, and then they're done. They've got nothing more until the next Monday. They might be more more willing to become a patron for a second show on Thursday as opposed to these three-hour extravaganzas that it takes them all week to listen to in the first place. I don't am know. I wrong about I've had that? people like tweet me at 8 a.m. saying that was a good episode. 8 a.m. How on do like they do Monday. That? No, that's ridiculous. I know, but I've had people do it. I know. They're not listening to the whole thing. Okay, here, here's one. This guy does it about, uh, I don't know, once a month. Three hours and 46 minutes. This podcast I listen to. It's once a month. Okay. Well, you're asking me how long they typically yeah, are. Yeah, but I'm talking, about a, I'm talking about a once a week podcast or, uh, you know, guys. That, I mean, once a month, I get. You got a full month to listen yeah. to three hours and 46 minutes. We're doing three-hour shows once a week and it seems to me and i don't know you're going to tell me that that's that's typical and it's typical i don't know i think i mean you're two podcasts They're very long two podcasts a week isn't a ton of con- i mean it's a little more with the the fantasy stuff but two a week isn't a ton i mean people have commutes there and back i listen to it at work i always have something on again it's not the two a week it's the three hour shows on monday yeah. that might take people four or five days to get through takes them through thursday they don't even think about why well, i don't need another one on thursday because i've got this one i, I don't know i don't know what, I, what do i, I know i don't if, know if they like the podcast then more the merrier i don't think they they would prefer we do less if, if you like something you like it well i've got an announcement about the patron shows guess who is joining the patron show starting this coming thursday i have no idea 
do you remember you may not you may not be familiar with Mr. Postseason, Mr. Playoffs. Do you know that that whole routine that we did? There was a guy that I used to that I invented for KJR called Mr. Playoffs, but he was retired by KJR. Oh, right, yeah. So now his twin brother has to take over Mr. Postseason, who goes through all of people like this, who go through all of the different scenarios as they relate to the Seahawks and every other team in the NFL. Mr. Postseason, a weekly installment. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I think I remember. I think I remember Vic Orlando voicing something that no. said, "If the playoffs ended today, and no, it's that would be to me. Talk about that would be me. He never no. Vic never voiced that. No, no." Are you sure? I'm positive. If he did, I I, okay. I, I have no knowledge but of it. But is that the same? If the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to right. even talk about sorry, Hugh. Okay. Is the is the expression. Gotcha. That's right. Yes, yeah, so I'm familiar with well, it. Well, we're at the halfway mark. Yeah. The Seahawks are 6-2, and two, whether you like their performance on Sunday or not. They're 6-2. and two. They're in the middle of a playoff race. And Mr. Postseason, people are going to start asking, when are you doing Mr. Postseason? Uh-huh. When is Mr. Postseason? Well, we can't do Mr. Postseason on Monday shows because – you got to wait till all the action, including Monday night, gets done. The whole week's worth of football has to be done before you do Mr. Postseason. Yep. So we'll do those on the patron show starting this week. So Mr. Postseason makes his 2019-20 debut on 63P. I'm excited. Halfway mark. The Tell halfway me. mark. And you're it's halfway crazy. to 12 and 4, whether you like their second half on Sunday you keep saying that. or am not. I, am I not supposed to like the, the, the fact they're 6 and 2? <laughs> No, you're supposed to like that they're six and okay. two, but you should have real concerns about some of the things you're seeing on the football field. I have some, but I think I have less than you about about the game on Sunday. I don't, I'm not. I wasn't. I'm not as worried about the second okay. half as you appear to be. But I can't wait to hear why. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, well, no. I mean, whatever. I mean, they were terrible in the second half. The question is, does it matter? Who right. cares? I mean, but did twenty four nothing impress you? Yeah, they were good they in the came, first half. They came yeah. out and did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. They let off and then the they gas took, a little and bit. And then they took, yeah. Yeah. So that doesn't count. No, no, nothing that happened should worry us. I don't know if nothing that happened, but I don't I don't worry too much about that awful second 460 half. yards to Matt Schaub. We should just throw it out the window. <laughs> right? <laughs> if, if Matt Schaub can do that, who can't? Matt in the Schaub, this yeah. is true, can't walk to 460 <laughs> yards. He's so old. Uh, Topics galore. Seahawks, no Huskies, although the Huskies face Utah. Big upset in college football. World Series. NBA season started. The Houston Astros mess, organizational mess. And I I really have waited as long as I can wait on the Frank Thomas Nugenics. Is it Nugenics? Nutrigenics? What is it? Oh, let me look at my backpack. Nugenics commercials. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I, I have to discuss this. I know, but it, uh, okay. Well, Do you I know guess, the commercial I'm talking about? Well, the Nugenics commercial. I know what it is. The and testosterone, what yeah, but I don't supplements know the specific or whatever commercial you're talking. About. You don't know the Frank Thomas commercial. Well, there's a ton of them. He, there's a whole a whole series. Oh with no, him. I'm just yeah, just in general, yeah, what, what he's just pimping. just how creepy he is. Yeah, yeah, and the whole thing that he's he's leaner and stronger than he's ever been, and yet he looks like a house. <laughs> Did it look lean to you? No. And he says in every commercial, yeah, I'm leaner and stronger. But but the capper, which just drives me absolutely insane, is when he says, trust me, she'll like it too. Oh, I know. Okay. Is there anything more God. just uncomfortable and creepy? And then that other guy. Do you know the other guy? You ever look at that other guy? Yeah, I, I got a kick it. out of the other guy. All right. The actor playing the other guy who called, walks over with the girls. They walk over with the women, and he's, you know, he's saying, oh, Are you Frank Thomas? Is it that one? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a whole bunch of them. Oh, yeah. So, trust me, she'll <laughs> oh, like it, God. too. 
Oh, God. They must be paying him a ton for that. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. Isn't it a little embarrassing if you're him? Well, I mean, can he reject certain lines like I'm leaner and stronger than I've ever been <laughs> that when really I have bugged. pictures of him in his playing days and he's like 200 pounds lighter than he is now? <laughs> I once saw At him. At some point, can he just say, hey, guys, this, this is not true? Yeah. And people will know that this is not true. You saying that's false advertising from time to that time? That he's out leaner there? and stronger than he's ever been? Yes, I think that that's untrue. All right. Well, hey, he seems to be a hit with the ladies. Yeah. And they're giving out free samples. <laughs> I should, for the show, for the show in quotes, I, I should call for a free sample and tell you how it is. Maybe I walk in looking, you know, I have abs in like a week. Just remember one thing when you do that. Yeah. She'll like it, too. Oh, well, then I'm calling right now. Guests include Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, Joey Garrison of the USA Today on Operation Varsity Blues. Do you know what Operation oh. Varsity Blues? We're, we're going to, as I like to say, wander away from sports for a segment on this episode 63. Do you know what Operation Varsity Blues is? I you don't. do. You just don't know it by name. Okay. We've not discussed it much on the show. I like the movie. Operation Varsity Blues is uh, Felicity Huffman- and Lori Laughlin, yeah, and the rest of the high-powered wealthy that are going to jail day after day after day because they got somebody to fix the SATs or the ACTs, or they had a guy disguise their kids as rowing champions, NCAA yeah. rowing champ, whatever it is, athletes. You know that whole oh, whole yeah. thing. Oh yeah. I just saw a story. I think it was two days ago about a a woman who wrote a children's book about parenting. Just got sentenced to like 10 days oh, yeah. in jail for doing this oh same. yeah oh it's more than 10 days i think oh, yeah really? i know yeah oh yeah she got her kid in. <laughs> a parenting book that's right about how to parent your that's, kids that's that's exactly right I, I don't know if i feel the same way as you do maybe because i don't have a senior i don't have i don't have teenagers I'm, I'm less bothered by it than i think a lot of people are that they were paying to get their kids into school i just assume that's how it went honestly Felicity Huffman just got out of jail, you know, after 12 days got released early yeah i heard that 12 instead of 14 mm-hmm. Lori, by the way Lori, whom i love Lori Laughlin and her husband Massimo, if they end up going to jail, they, they they're they're playing hardball. They're not pleading guilty so far, and 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 they keep coming in with more and more charges, and oh. and they're just lopping charges on top of one after the other. They're looking at months and months. Felicity Huffman, I think, did it right, right? I mean, I just well, I made her, a she did it different. Well, her cheat was different than Lori's cheat. Oh, okay. You know that Lori and. Her husband had the guy put together the the fake athletes thing for the two daughters to go to USC and paid five hundred thousand. Felicity Huffman, I think, paid twenty five grand or fifteen grand to have the the questions. Ch- I don't know the answers changed on her on her daughter's SAT or ACT. And I and I have two I have two overall kind of reactions to this. You say as a yeah, my first reaction is. You know, my son is actually going to be applying to like a couple or two, three or four of the schools that are on the list that were involved in this controversy. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can't help but wonder, God, are people getting spots in the in these classes at the at the expense of others who are doing it right? And they're not getting in because others are taking up those spots. Yeah. As a, as a parent, you can't help but wonder that. But then the other thing is. Remember, I had to eat mushrooms because of his, his SAT scores. That's right. it, did he pay somebody fifteen grand? Is it possible oh, yeah. that that was a fraudulent SAT score, and I didn't have to eat mushrooms all, this all along time. this whole time? Is it possible? It is possible. The movie mogul Max yeah. paid somebody off to change his SAT scores. I think that allowance is a little too high for him. 
episode 63 with Brady Henderson, Rick Neuheisel, Joey Garrison, and Evan Drellick, who is the athletic business of baseball writer on the whole Houston Astros organizational controversy. All right? And then they go to win two in a row. That's right. All righty, Hot Shot. Episode 63 is impossible without Daniels Broiler. You know by now the latest addition to the Daniels family of world-class steakhouses, the downtown location in the new Hyatt Regency, the king of special occasions. In fact, we're closing down the Rick House Whiskey Bar on November the 11th for a Monday night football viewing party, the Seahawks at the Niners, because Daniel's Broiler is there for special occasions. World-class steakhouses, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. More and more listeners are finally hearing me and giving Jordan Flowers' Guild Mortgage team a shout, waiting for your call to say you money every month with three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest with offices along the West Coast and the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth that many of Evergreen's clients do have, but still want to grow our money. Check them out. Evervestment.com. And Zeke's Pizza with a brand new spot now in Woodenville on 135th Avenue Northeast. Whether it's at home with Zeke's door-to-door delivery or at one of their 17 locations, sports, pizza, craft beer with a true blue Northwest company. I'm telling you, an underrated spot to regularly watch college and pro football. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Here we go. Episode number 63, believe it or not, starts right now unfiltered i'm just maybe a negative nelly but when i wake up on sunday and i see that and the seahawks have a home game and it's gray and rainy i should feel okay this is seahawks weather they're used to this this is seahawks weather we've got a team coming across the country and that's exactly what we want we want gray rainy and yet i feel the exact opposite unfiltered do you know gucci Mane? sipping on purple stuff rolling up stanky wake up in the morning 10 o'clock drinking Party, party, party. Let's all get wasted. Shout the bartender. Send 20 more cases. Mitch is unfiltered. Hot Shots, Scott, episode number 63. Episode, let's see. I can't think of one person. I was going to put you on the spot. I, I actually I, had it in my notes to say, <laughs> what do you make Hot Shot come up with a number 63? I cannot think of one, even like old Seahawk. I can't come up with anyone. I got. I, I, I had to do some work. I'm sure. I had to do some legwork. We can start with a guy named Jeff Taze. University of Washington All-American tackle from 1976 to 1979. Probably blocked for Warren He was was a second-round draft choice and played his entire career with... The Seattle Seahawks. Nope. Try again. The New England Patriots. Try again. How many guesses do I get? The Miami Dolphins. Jeff Taze wore number 63. Episode Jeff Taze. Actually, his older brother also played in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers and won four rings. Oh, wow. But the little brother went to Washington where he was a standout offensive lineman. He wore number 63. This is a name. I did a search on the greatest, like, Seattle area athlete to wear 63, and two names came up. Jeff Taze, who I just gave you. And then this other guy named, I've never even heard him, Nick Bebout. 
Do you know that name? Nick Bebout. No, I don't. He wore number 63 at the same time as Jeff Taze was wearing 63 at Washington. Nick Bebout was the first ever tackle for Jack Patera and the the Seattle Seahawks. So I was close then. They actually took him in an expansion draft, I think from the, the Atlanta Falcons. And they brought him in the expansion draft. Hmm. He went to the University of Wyoming, and I believe he was either the I think he was the right tackle on the first group of teams, the first three Seahawk teams. A guy named Nick Bebout wore number sixty-three. That's so what I got. Nick Bebout might have been on the team the last time the Seahawks went four and zero on the road because that was in nineteen eighty. No, he wasn't, because he was only on the team for three years from 76 ah, to 79. All right. And I figured that you would love Nick Bebout, because I just decided, <laughs> since I've never heard of Nick Bebout, yeah. I need to do some research. And here's what I found about Nick Bebout, number 62, the Seahawks. Okay. I found a 1997 column written by Dave Bowling of the Tacoma News oh, Tribune. I'm gonna, he, he, was, he was writing in the TNT about them going to Cheney, Cheney, Washington, for you know camp. Yeah. And he was doing a piece on that, and he had Steve Rabel, a quote from Steve Rabel. Here's Steve Rabel's quote. We used to do all kinds of training camp stunts in Cheney, Rabel said, recalling one nocturnal prank of jacking up Coach Jack Patera's car and putting it on blocks, along with the usual fire extinguisher antics in the dorm. Quote, we actually used to go to Nick Bebout's room after curfew and throw back a few beers, he said. Hey, it had been 100 degrees, and you had to replenish your fluids. <laughs> he used to sit there, Bebout, he used to sit there with a toilet seat around his neck. I have no idea why, and strum his guitar while drinking beer. That does sound like a friend of mine. It sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> so Rabel's got some Nick Bebout stories. There you go. Right. So Nick Bebout, 63, would sit in Cheney with a toilet seat over his head, <laughs> a beer in one hand, and a guitar in the other. I like That's him. number 63. Yeah, but I'm neither, a fan. But neither of them, the, the name will not be after, the show will not be named after either of them. You can do better than Nick Bebout? I can do better than Nick Bebout, and I can do better than Jeff Taze okay. or his brother Lauren, but we'll come back to that at the end of the oh, gotcha. at the at the end of the show. Seahawks twenty. So you're not concerned. Seahawks twenty seven. Falcons twenty. They're six and two. We're all eating tacos except for you because yep. you refuse to go to Taco Time on Tuesday. Thanks to the Chris Carson run. That's one of the uh, one of the nice things about their twenty seven to twenty victory. Order ahead. I'm going to be ordering ahead. All taco time locations. I'll be there on Tuesday. I'm there on Tuesdays whether you get a free taco or not. Yeah. They should have had probably more than one free taco, but Chris Carson got us that. And I'll, I'll, I'll advise you to download the Taco Time app, order ahead, and get your free taco at all locations on Tuesday. So you, you know, 24 to nothing, you say just toss. I know there's a lot of people who agree with you. Just toss out the second half. It doesn't mean anything, right? I don't know if it doesn't mean anything. I think you saw the real team at 24 nothing. I think subconsciously you just have a tendency to let down. I think the coaches probably let down. The play calling was different. That's what we wanted to see, and that's what we saw. That 24 nothing. that was the true test. And the second half, it's like, eh, you know, you, you just can't help but let down a bit. So I'm less worried. A than bit. You. A would, bit you, yeah. would you like to define a bit? Would you like me to define let down a bit? <laughs> sure, go ahead. Should we, should we discuss a bit? I can give you a stat that even you don't realize is true okay. about the second half. But we can throw it out the window. I'm happy to throw it out the window. I'm happy to go with – I always say about these games – I mean, people are tired of hearing me say about it. I've said it on this, on this podcast after every week. The truth is 
on January 1st or January 2nd or 3rd, when we decide whether the Seahawks are going to the playoffs or not, are they playing a wild card game? Are they playing? Do they have a buy? When we, when we look at the Seahawks postseason plans, if they have any, the only thing is going to, there's only one thing that's going to matter about October the 27th against the Atlanta Falcons. And what is it going to be? The record, the wins that's and it. losses. Did you win? Did you yeah, win? That's it. I mean, they could have beaten them 74 to nothing and held them to negative 10 total yards and had the, the greatest statistical performance of any football team in the history of the NFL. And I would say the same thing. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters about October the 27th is, did you win or did you not? Because on January 2nd or 3rd, how you were playing on October the 27th means nothing. Nothing. It's how, it's how healthy you are and how are you playing at that point and are you in the playoffs or not? So the only thing that matters, So uh, in large part, I, I agree with you, but I just can't sit back as a guy who watches football and completely throw out the second half completely throw out the second half. well there were some things i didn't like about the game what didn't you like about the game well the fact that Schaub threw what 52 times yes and we got two sacks yes that i didn't like but yes. most of that was second and a half second half so you got to throw that if you're throwing out the second half <laughs> then you that's the, i mean w- w- which chris, way or which way do you want to do this chris carson seven carries for seven yards on the second half didn't care much for that uh-huh that, w- that would be another one i didn't uh-huh. care much so for. It, it sounds to me like you do care a little bit about the second half well a little you, bit but i don't think it's indicative of no this i don't think it well i cannot like it but not think it's indicative how many times do we have to point out how bad they are in pass defense I'm with you on that. So, yeah, I think the second half is somewhat indicative about the team. A backup quarterback in the second half was 26 out of 32. This is the second half. I'm not giving you his full game stats. He was 26 out of 32 for 309 yards in the second half. And it wasn't, by the way, all about the off the defense. How about the offense? Uh, here's here's a number for you. Okay. Would you like make me feel like crap about no, the second I don't, half? No, again, I don't want to make you feel like crap. <laughs> but right. I mean, are we just going to ignore it? We can go to the next topic if you'd like to go to the no, next I'm, topic. No, I, I I love the the criticism. I'm ready. Give it to I, me. It's not a question of criticism. It's just pointing out some facts. Okay. How many first downs do you think the Seahawks got in the second half? Da, 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 I'm gonna say five. Da, 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 Four. Da, 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 three. Da, da. Three first downs. Okay, how many yards do you think they had? Uh, net yards uh, offensively. So we know they were terrible on defense. How were they offensively in the second half? Da, 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 Russell had 220. We rushed for about 160. 220. Isn't that what he had? 220. Oh no, he had like 180. Yeah. At 180. All right. How many yards, net know. yards, do you think they had with their three first downs in the second half? I'll give you a hint. They had the ball five times. First time, three plays, negative 10 yards, punt. Second time, three plays, two yards, punt. Third time, and thank goodness, 10 plays, 58 net yards, field goal. That was big. That 53-yard field goal, big, huge. Could have been the, uh, the, the downfall had they – either that field goal doesn't go through or the fumble, the Devontae Freeman fumble that I thought wasn't a fumble. Caused I thought he was down. my boy, Marquise Blair. Well, I don't know whether it was a real fumble or not, but okay. okay they, they did. So three, three plays, negative 10 yards. Mm-hmm. Three plays, two yards. 10 plays, 58 yards, then three plays, four yards, punt, two plays, end of game. That's their... 54 total yards. 52. 52 total yards. Total net yards. That's uh, not too good. Three first downs in the second half, 52 net yards. Now, 
Da, da, da. I'm telling you what the Seahawks had. Now you tell me in first downs and yards <laughs> what the one and seven Atlanta Falcons had in the second half. I just told you three first downs, 52 yards for the Seahawks. Da, 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 you want me to tell you the total da, yards? First downs. Start with first downs as opposed to three. Uh, they, I mean, they were playing yeah, catch up. They have yeah, to throw a couple, couple more. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. like seven. Yeah. Seven first downs. Yeah. In the first half. I mean, the second half for the Falcons. Yeah. Seven first downs. Okay, 10? 10? Uh, really? That many more? How about 21 oh, first downs? Oh, God. Is it that bad? The Falcons had 21 first downs. Jesus. Okay, the Seahawks had 52 yards. How many yards did the, the Falcons have in the uh, second half as opposed to 52? 21 first downs. I don't know, 250? Higher. 300? Higher. 350? Higher. Oh, God, 400? Higher. More than 400 they yards had 436 in the yards. Oh, my God. Okay. Are you sure you want to just throw everything out the window? More than ever now. (laughs) (laughs) Out. (laughs) Goodbye. That's the stat. Seahawks, three first downs, 52 yards, one in seven Falcons, 21 first downs, 436 yards. It was an absolute. Now, interesting, and we'll talk to Brady Henderson about this, who was in Atlanta with Pete Carroll. Carroll, after the game, took it on him. Took it on the chin. He says, blame me for the second half. Blame me. But then he wouldn't get into details, leading to a lot of people to speculate. Hmm. Did you see how he was taking people out of the game? He took Dwayne Brown out of the game and put George Fant in. He was fooling around. Like, uh, I, I think it. I think just the whole let's start resting people thing yeah, yeah. kind of takes you out of your rhythm. Sure. And so maybe he was talking about that. But after the game in the locker room, Carroll said, you can blame the second half on me. That's a hell of a big second half blame. But he's taking the second half blame. In the long run, they won the game. They're 27 to 20. They're 6 and 2. Had I asked you if you take 6 and 2 in the first eight, knowing that Jaron Reed was going to be out the first six and so forth and so on, and Ansa was just coming back and Clowney didn't have a train, you would have taken 6 and 2 and a harpy right. in the first eight. You would not have predicted the ones that they lost. They actually lost a couple games. You probably would have thought that they won. You probably thought they'd lose some other games. But 6 and 2 with one of the losses, Mr. Postseason will talk about this, to an AFC team. The Baltimore Ravens loss doesn't count as much as an NFC loss when it comes to tiebreakers. So you're not only your six and two, only one loss to an NFC team, the New Orleans Saints. So at the at the at the halfway mark, if you don't really kind of look at the specific games and how they got here and how close some of them were and how unimpressive and uninspired yeah. some of the victories were, miss field goals. If you don't look at any of that stuff and you just say six and two, yeah, take it. Except for the part where the Niners are seven and zero and look unbeatable, so I, don't, I really don't know what we're even. I tweeted out on about. Sunday. I sat and watched the, and I know it wasn't on locally, but I, I have it. I, I sat and watched the San Francisco Carolina game, and I tweeted out that I just can't close my eyes and visualize. Now things change in football. Week to week, things could change. There could be injuries. Something could happen. But they play November the eleventh on Monday night. I think the Seattle Seahawks, and this is way in advance. We've got lots of time. The Seahawks are going into an absolute hornet's nest. That's a game that right now, as of when we're recording, I would literally look you in the eye and tell you they've got no chance to win that game. That's how that's how well the 49ers are playing, especially on defense. They are just all over the field on defense. They, I, I worry for Russell Wilson's life yeah. on November the 11th. Nick Bosa is like it, the best player now, in the league. Now, if we're doing a show after November the 11th and they win, then 
all the power. I mean, I, I'll be I, I'm rooting against myself, but I just don't see it. Maybe the one at the end of the season that's here where you have the home field. But I think the 49ers are like the new kids on the block, the fierce new dog in the neighborhood that's got the sharp teeth. And you're just it's, I, it's, I, I, it could get really ugly on November the 11th. It's coming into Seattle in 2013, right? Is that kind of what it feels like? Yeah. Play, playing in Seattle like it's Camp Chancellor, yeah, like the up and comer yeah, that just hungry, that's just wa- doesn't just want to beat you. They want to they want to step on your throats. Yeah. And the way they go after the quarterback and this rookie Nick uh, uh, Bosa, Nick Bosa, yeah. I mean, it's just it's they are they're not great offensively. They got Emmanuel Sanders now, and he had a touchdown on Sunday in his first game for the 49ers, So they're a little better. He makes them a little better. They're not great on offense, but they are so vicious on defense, and you just. You put that next to what I watch from the Seahawks on defense. Now, the Seahawks, we say this each and every week on the podcast, they should be better. They've got names. Yeah. They've got big names. They've got names like Clowney and Wagner and, and Kendricks and, and Ansa and Reed. And they've got yeah, names. Right. Well, they got seven QB hits this week. Would you? That's an improvement, right? Even though it's Matt Schaub, I know, but seven QB hits. The pass rush was a sacks. little was a little bit better, even though they only had two sacks. A little better, but against like the worst offensive line in the league, right? But as I've told you, and I, and I look, I'm not the, the all knowing on football, but I, I, what I see is it's not just a pass rush issue. The pass defense is not just a pass rush issue. And this sounds kind of weird because I happen to agree with most of the people that are saying that Shaq Griffin's playing well. He's playing his best football of his career. Shaq Griffin, even on Sunday in a game where his defense gave up 460 yards, he was good on Sunday. I thought he was, for the most part, very good. And I do like some of the other names, but I mean, go back and look at those the plays that that led to 460 yards passing. Were those receivers covered? Were they was Shab throwing to covered receivers? Like when Russell Wilson was throwing to Tyler Lockett on Sunday, half of those he was blanketed and he just fitted in and Lockett made a great catch and like two or three different. Times. Was that the case with the Falcons when when Julio Jones was working on what's the guy's name, Akeem King? Yeah. I mean, oh did, my God! Did the Seahawks- Are they going anywhere with Akeem King? <laughs> well, Honest to freaking God, are they going anywhere no. with Akeem King? But wasn't he filling in for Trey Flowers? I mean, he was. Yeah. Okay. So he the was. Seahawks are clearly missing Trey Flowers. They were missing Trey Flowers, which I didn't think I'd ever say in my lifetime. They were missing Trey Flowers. <laughs> yeah. He's playing pretty well, Trey Flowers, this year, right? Uh, well, uh, yeah. Decent. Well, yeah. Well, somebody's not playing. If if Griffin's playing pretty well and Flowers <laughs> is playing pretty well, and they're the world's worst pass defensive right. team. Somebody's not playing pretty well. And don't, all, don't tell me it's just about the pass rush. They got all these names on the defensive line. They got Bobby Wagner. Okay, someone's not playing well all right. somewhere. All right, let's 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 kill the negativity and talk about some good things because they did win the game. And as you say, yep. 24-0 at the half, you like that, right? So there were like some that. good things. And we'll start with your boy. How'd you like Marquise Blair? Big fan. Yeah? Yeah, I liked it. What, do you have 11 tackles today? He had today? 11 tackles. He had a forced, forced fumble, fumble, which I yeah. think was a shaky call. Yeah, it... I don't know if that ball was out. Everybody's telling me there's video of when the ball started to come loose. His back wasn't. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Nonetheless, it was a good effort, even if it wouldn't have been. It was first down. They were going into score, and that was a huge – it was the play of the game, the call of the game. And I didn't think that the TV broadcast 
made enough out of that. They didn't. I don't. I don't think they had like Dean Blandino or Michael per, uh, Pereira, whatever Pereira's first name is, come in the square and talk about the play. They kind of just went to commercial, came out of commercial, and went on with the game like it wasn't a a big player. It wasn't a bang bang. It was very close. Yeah. It, it deserves some attention, and it was the play. It was for me the play of the game. I mean, it was the difference between just having a meltdown in the second half that we just throw out the window to perhaps we're talking about we're something a, a lot. Bit. We're talking about <laughs> losing the game. We're talking about a loss. We might yeah. be talking about a loss here you if it weren't for that call. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk. You wanna you wanna you like Marquise Blair? He's getting a chance. He not only forced to fumble some big jarring hits, yep. knocked a receiver out of the game. I like it. Clean hits. That's he what seemed I wanted. To be, seemed to be good in coverage. So yep. he he looks like he's coming around, right? I'm I'm completely on board with him. Okay, I've, right. I've been else? tough on him all year. What else? What about Bobby Wagner becoming the all-time leading tackler? Yep, passing Eugene Robinson. He's a he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's now no longer a great Seahawk player. He's a great NFL player. He's, he's going to the Hall of Fame. It would be an absolute, you know, one in a thousand now if, if Bobby Wagner wasn't someday enshrined in Canton, Ohio. Good, good for him. He became the all-time leading tackler in Seahawks history. How about this one? Uh, only two players, can you name them, only two players in the history of the NFL since the merger in 1970 have started a season with 17 or more touchdowns and one or fewer interceptions in the first eight games of a season. Only two players have ever done that. You want to try to name them? Russell Wilson. This year, 17-1 and one through eight games. Drew Brees. 2018. I think I might have heard that at some point, but that's impressive. How do you like the fact that Tom Brady's never done that? Kind of surprising, huh? It is a little surprising, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible accuracy. And it's, it's even more surprising that you know who didn't do it. Oh, your buddy, Dan Murray. Maybe they didn't keep stats back then. He probably did it. <laughs> he pretty. Well, he, he had a lot of stats, but they didn't keep stats. I'll give you my most encouraging. You want Mitch's biggest game ball? Mitch's most encouraging, most positive part to the game on Sunday? Sure. I'll give, I'll give you one. And it goes back to the tail of the tape, which we do on the P episodes on Thursdays. You probably don't remember this because you're so busy trying to learn how to count from one to eight. It's been tough. That you haven't been able to quite concentrate but I told you that the Atlanta Falcons defense pretty much are the is the outhouse of the National Football League this is one of especially in the past game this is like the the worst defense in the National Football League but I did also tell you that there's actually one area where the Falcons are not only not terrible they're pretty good through the first seven games do you know what that area was do you remember how about a lot of you questions to today? Yeah, a lot of questions. A lot of questions. I can give it to you. Yeah, give it to me. They were allowing 3.7 yards a carry, sixth best in the National Football League in the rush game. Okay. So the Falcons' defense through the first seven games was one of the top six rush defenses in the NFL. And don't tell me the reason that was the case is because they're so bad in the past game. Everybody just passed against them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way because this is, this is yards per carry. Yards per carry. Right. So if teams it's only rush, it's an average. Yeah. So so if you only rush ten times against them, they stop you for three point seven a carry, which is yeah. far. By the way, just to put it in relative terms, you know where the Seahawks were going into this week? Four point nine a carry. The yeah. defense, four point nine. The Seahawks defense was allowing four point nine yards a carry, while the Falcons defense was allowing three point seven yards a carry. So my game ball, my most 
I'm most impressed with the run game of the Seattle Seahawks, who against a a very stout run defense, carried the ball 33 times and essentially did whatever they wanted to do. 151 yards, 4.6 yards a carry. Didn't matter whether it was Carson. Didn't matter whether it was Penny. Didn't matter whether it was Britt in the game or it was Joey, little Joey Hunt, little guy Joey Hunt yeah. in the game. It didn't matter who was on the offensive line. Didn't matter whether it was George Fan in there for a series or two or Dwayne Brown. The Seahawks had their way with the Falcons on the ground, and that's a good sign when you're running the ball at 4.6 yards a carry over 33 carries against a team that allows 3.7. There's my game ball right there. There's my most impressed, my my best news for to you. To the run game overall. Just run game overall. How did Carson look to you today, though? He looked. Vi- it was on Sunday. He yes, didn't do it, it was on day. Sunday. Yes, yeah, it was yeah. on Sunday. Did you like that touchdown run where he was like looking for somebody to Outside hit? Outside of the God. ball that he dropped in the flat, the little yeah. swing pass. He, that he, he, start, that. he started to run before he caught the ball. You don't have to ask. I'll tell you what. Let's just save your breath. Yeah. You don't have to ask me. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, Chris Carson is one of the five or seven best running backs in the league. And period. End of story. With his fumbles, without his fumbles. The guy runs through contact. How about you, you, you talked about the touchdown run. Were you talking about the one around the side before the touchdown when he just decided before going out of bounds to, pi- to yeah. pound that one guy? He does look for contact. Even on the touchdown run, there was nobody. Totally. There was no one to hit, totally. and he like lunged at the guy in the totally. end zone to hit him. So I would say He's a good, grown man. good things before we go to the four interviews. Good things. They won. Yes. Good things. They're 6-2 and two with only one loss to an NFC team. Good things. 151 yards on uh, 33 carries for 4.6 yards a carry. Good thing. Uh, Russell Wilson only had to throw the ball 20 times and had a 131 passer rating. One. Good things. Tyler Lockett was fantastic with his six catches, 100 yards. Many of them with a guy draped all over him. By the way, that guy, Sheffield, number 20, call in sick when your team's reviewing the films. Yeah, it's going to be rough. Oh, 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 number 20 of the Falcons. He does not want to be in the room Watch it play after play, trying to trying to cover Tyler Lockett. Marquise Blair, uh, good thing. Michael Kendricks. Oh, yeah, the interception played I, well. I can't even believe I'm giving good things to a defense to give up 466 yards to Matt Schaub. And Shaq Griffin, good thing. Yes. Did I, I miss any? I think Tyler Lockett becoming a number one receiver. He's starting to draw some double teams, leaving yeah. somebody wide open. Yeah. DK Metcalf with two touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns. Pretty easy. Yeah, pretty easy. But yeah. I think you, that is – kind of showing you that people are respecting Tyler Lockett as a number one. There's actually there's open. actually a great still shot that I could send you where I can put it on our Facebook page of the second touch. I think it was the second. It was either the first or the second touchdown. One of the two touchdowns. There's a guy that's like security for the Falcons yeah. standing in the... Have you seen that? Uh-uh. And he's like... He's got his hands <laughs> out like, what the... F-? Right. How could he be so open? He's yeah. like, he's six foot f- five, 327 pounds. And the, and, and the security's like, is anybody going to cover? He's got his hands out. It's, it's fantastic. That's going to be picture. a rough play in the film room for them on Monday. I mean, he was so God. wide open. How do you feel if you're Dan Quinn? Yeah. Is Did you it? just pack up? You know you're not you, – I guess you can't really pack up. That's always a weird one to me because wasn't he in the Super Bowl with them two years ago? Was it two years ago against the Patriots? Yeah, they were ahead 28-3. to three. Okay. He was, he was like a few – it was like a quarter and a half away from being a Super Bowl right. champion coach who could have run for governor of the state of Georgia. Yeah. And he's gone – and that's like two years ago – from there to get out, please get out as fast as you can. But he's not a worse coach. You don't. I mean, wh- how does this work? I mean, maybe I he wasn't a good coach back then. 
Maybe this is the way he really is. Maybe he took the, for the other coach's players. And I don't know. To me, it's always like he kind of is who he is. You, you, don't, you don't lose it that much in two years. Don't know. Yeah, I mean. As I said to you on episode 63P, this is not like the Redskins or the Dolphins where they just have no good players. I can rattle off about 10 or 12 Falcon starters, and there's only 22 starters. I could rattle off about 8 or 10 maybe that you would say, good football player, yeah. good football. You, you can't be this bad with the kind of talent. They've got a good quarterback. They've got a great re- couple of very good receivers. They've got a great tight end. They've got a good center. They've got a good uh, defensive tackle uh, who, who played a good game on Sunday. And Trufant was well, good he, for a while. Trufant didn't play on Sunday, but, but he's they've got injured. a safety or two. One of them's out for the year with an Achilles. Anyway, they've got, they've got six yeah. or eight or ten pretty good ball players. They should not be this bad. they got a good pass rusher, Vic Beasley. they got some guys. Maybe they're, maybe they're a three-and-four team or a four-and-three. They should not be this bad. So the, the fall, you know, takes the fall. Maybe he'll be calling Pete Carroll looking for his old job back. <laughs> Could use him, right? I've got four good interviews, and then we've got a lot of stuff, fun stuff to get to in the Lots. final segment. You always say they're good interviews. How do we know? I mean, you know. I've already done them. Oh, so you, you already know they're good. Oh, uh, well. I mean, I, people may not, might not enjoy them. I don't Scott, know. They're good before I even do them. <laughs> I forgot who I'm talking to. Oh, how could I forget the crit? Oh, he, he's the best interviewer in the business. God, I hate it. I have to hear that again. I'm going to kill myself. Uh, he's, I mean, his interviews are the best. I mean, no one does them as good as him. Yeah. People think they're really smart when they say that. It annoys me. All right, four good interviews. Four good interviews. All right. And then you and me? Let's do it. Okay. You know, Hotshot, I say this all the time because I believe it. Daniel's Broiler is a very special restaurant. One of the things that I think makes Daniel special is their belief in world-class hospitality. Of course, you expect excellent steaks and seafood at Daniel's, the world-class views, the great wine list. But if Daniel's doesn't make you feel special, what's the point? We live in a time when hospitality is becoming kind of a lost art in restaurants, and that's a shame. When you go to a Daniel's broiler, your needs come first. That starts with world-class hospitality. Daniel's goal is to make every guest feel like they're a part of the Daniel's family. And I'm not just talking about being polite. It's much more than that. World-class hospitality is making every guest feel warm, welcome, and important. As you know from the real world, that does not happen by accident. How you're treated is just as important to Daniels as the excellence of their food. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, South Lake Union, Leshy Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Daniels Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Receivers in the game. Play fake to Freeman. That pass intercepted by Michael Kendricks. Here's second and goal. Wilson being rushed. Most deep in the end zone. Wide open is Metcalf for a touchdown. This was really a tale of two halves. Couldn't have been more obvious, you know, and we've been saying for a long time you can't win a game in the first half, man, and uh, that's just what what that was. Please, on a number of counts, winning four straight on the road, uh, 
a lot of things happened. Uh, you know, we, we functioned, the quarterback functioned well, uh, hit DK for a couple of touchdowns. Chris Carson ran really well. It was great for him to have a, have a good game here coming back home. Uh, Penny ran the ball really well. Uh, we ran like crazy in the first half, and you know, it was rare that you would run for you know, 130 yards at, at halftime. Um, but it just didn't show up in the second half. But um, we saw a lot of good things. All right, it's time for our weekly visit with Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. He's in Atlanta. It's all brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. Six great showrooms from Bellevue down to Portland. FiresideHomeSolutions.com, your answer for fireplaces this football season. Brady, I don't even know where to begin on this. It's a 27-20 victory. And when it's all said and done, they're six and two through eight games. I think anybody would have signed up for that. And in the first half on Sunday, they were terrific both offensively and pretty much defensively, 24 nothing at the half. And then something happened. Pete Carroll says, I'll take the responsibility for what happened in the second half, but then didn't go into any explanation. Try to speculate, try to get into Pete Carroll's mind on this, Brady. Yeah, I you know, my only guess is that when he says um, you know, this this is on me for the way that they played in the second half. That he he maybe thinks that um, you know the energy level or the the focus or the the mentality wasn't what it needed to be. Um, you know, having gone up twenty four zero in the first half, and, and maybe you know maybe they sort of let their foot off the gas um, at least mentally in the second half. That that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, um, you know, you, you you do have to give some of the credit there to Atlanta. It's never really one team you know, being bad or one team being really good. I think it's usually a combination of both there. Um, but that would be my guess is just that he, he didn't have those guys, um, you know, in the right headspace for that second half. And, um, you know, I was thinking uh, after the game Sunday, was their, was their first half better than their second half was bad? Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like one of those interesting questions. I guess the first half was better. Um, then the second half was bad because they, uh, you know, they hung on to win that game. But but that was just an odd, uh, an odd finish, and, and really the reversal of the usual script that you usually see them play, which is start, you know, pretty bad, and then they finish with a flurry. Brady, before you answer that question definitively, let me give you, and you probably have this, but just in case you don't, I want to give you, I want to arm you with information because that's the my role. Arm you with information so that you can make the right decision on that whether the first half was better then the second half was bad. In the second half, and this speaks to both offensive and defense, the the Seattle Seahawks had three first downs and 52 net yards in the second half. The Atlanta Falcons had 21 first downs and 436 yards. So they out first downed them 21 to 3 and out yarded them 436 to 52. So I'll give you another shot. Would you like to revamp your opinion on that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I may have to I may have to go back on what I said. I mean, I'm looking at the 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 possession and drive chart. You know, part of that was uh only had what six plays and in, in, on offense in the third quarter. Yep. Um, now part of that is you're going three and out. And yep. so, um, but yeah, it, it, it's a good one. And just, uh, it, it was, it was striking because it was not the way that we typically see them play football, just in the fact that it was completely reversed. Yeah. You know, let's go back to the Pete Carroll comment. You say maybe it's his responsibility to keep them revved up and he's a high energy guy wrapped up in your answer. Although you didn't, you didn't specifically say it, Carroll made some decisions in that third quarter to rest some people. Did you notice that? Dwayne Brown, yeah. Dwayne Brown, he took him out for a couple series, got George Fant in there. 
Um, he took K.J. Wright out. I don't know whether that was in the first or second half. There were some kind of like almost like, oh, we've got this. Let's get some people some rest. And when you start doing that, uh, maybe you even even help the team take their foot off the gas a little bit. It's it's all, it's already kind of human nature to take your foot off the gas. But then when your coach is kind of s- substituting people to get people rest in that second half, it might just not work out for you. Yeah, and, and he, he said, he was asked about all those guys, and I think, um, you know, Marquise Blair was the only one who had to come out because of an injury, according to, to what Carroll said. It, you know, he said he had cramps or something, so they had to bring in Brandon McDougall for – uh, a few plays, but when he was asked about those other guys, he was, he basically said that they just wanted to, um, you know, give those guys a rest. And and I think you can understand that in a lot of those cases. You know, Dwayne Brown was coming back from, uh, you know, his first game in uh, what three weeks. Um, so you know, I think it makes sense to to give him a little bit of a breather there. Um, you know, I'm not sure what the issue was with Akeem King. It, you know, he was one of those guys that Carroll said they just wanted to give. Um, I, I believe he said he just wanted to give. Uh, you know, Nico Thorpe sometime there and, and uh, same deal with KJ Wright. Um, but yeah, so I think it's fair to wonder, does that maybe contribute to the mentality when you see guys, um, you know, getting breathers when they, you know, don't, when they're not hurt or anything like that. Fireside Home Solutions bring you the, the, the Brady Henderson chat. Remember football season, fireplace season, no place better to start looking for solutions than Fireside Home Solutions at firesidehomesolutions.com. You talked about Akeem King. Every time I looked up, Julio Jones was catching balls in front of him. Did Trey Flowers' value and worth to this team rise as he sat out in the game, sat out of the game on Sunday in Atlanta? Yeah, maybe a little. But you know, to be the fair, to be fair to Akeem King, you know, I think Julio Jones might have, might have, um, you know, made Trey Flowers look bad on a few of those plays as well, like he would, you know, most cornerbacks. Um, you know, Akeem King had that just that perfect shot for an interception thrown right to him. Uh, on a play where I think they, they brought some pressure after Matt Schaub. Uh, and, and if you notice there, he had a lot of room to run there. So um, not his best play. He did have, I, I saw him make one nice play. I think it was a tackle for loss uh, when they brought him on uh, on a corner blitz. Um, but, you know, that's just sort of the, the name of the game when you're, when you're going to back up guys uh, and also when you're playing a receiver like Julio Jones. It seems weird for me to shine the positive spotlight on a couple of secondary people on a day where 74-year-old Matt Schaub threw for 460 yards against <laughs> your defense. But I'm going to try to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk the thin ice here and say that Marquise Blair continues to kind of make a name for himself. The hard hits, the jarring hits, he knocked a receiver out of the game for, the, for, for a few moments. He, uh, he, he did cause that kind of controversial fumble, which I don't know whether it was or wasn't. He had 11 tackles. And then Shaq Griffin continues to play much better this year than he did a year ago. He's making plays. He's knocking balls away. How about those two guys' performance on an otherwise kind of forgettable pass, uh, pass defense day, Brady? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think those guys were, were the issue uh, or what was going on with the secondary there. You know, Griffin had those two – pretty nice pass breakups and, and he just seems to be playing um, as consistently as he has in his career. And um, you know, you, you're not seeing him take the ball away, which is actually what you started to see him do last. Remember he had two interceptions uh, in that, in that Monday night game at Chicago. And then he really was up and down for the rest of the season. So, um, but, but he is just making plays on the ball. He's not getting beat deep. And obviously that goes a long way uh, with Pete Carroll. And as for Blair, 
you know, it, it's going to be hard for them to keep him off the field once, you know, Quandre Diggs gets acclimated, once Bradley McDougald comes back from his back spasms, just with the way that he's playing. And, you know, it led the team with 11 tackles. Um, I'm still not sure how that fumble was called a fumble because I would have bet a lot of money after seeing that uh, replay that, uh, they would have they would have called the runner down, but at any rate, it's still a nice play. Whether or not it was actually a fumble or not, it was still a nice play by him. And um, you know, it just seems like you know we were having this conversation, as I think a lot of people were, um, you know, earlier in the season when he was not seeing the field and when he really was inactive, you know, as a healthy scratch on game days, uh, wondering why that is. And I think it was just a matter of the guy, um, you know, maybe not being ready. There's there's a lot that they ask of uh, their strong safety. I think more so than. Um, than their free safety in that defense. And, and I think Carroll even said that that's why they were focusing him at free safety earlier, just to sort of ease that transition for him. Uh, now he's playing strong safety, and he's playing well enough that it's going to be hard for them. It's going to be so, interesting to see what they do so what once are they those do? guys get back. What are they going to do? Is McDougal, could McDougal and Blair play together, do you think? I think so, yeah, you know, because there is a lot of interchangeability with those positions, and, and they do think that, that – Blair can play both of those spots. And, um, you know, maybe because of the, the reason I mentioned about the free safety, maybe having less responsibility, uh, maybe that's where they put him um, and, and they keep, uh, you know, McDougal at strong safety. But then again, you know, they didn't trade a fifth round pick uh, and acquire, you know, Quandary Diggs' contract to have him be a backup. Um, and a lot of people will hear this and say, well, why don't you just put him in nickelback? I haven't got the impression that they like him nearly as much at nickelback uh, as they do at one of those safety spots. So to answer your question, maybe it's a case of, um, you know, it, it's Blair and McDougald as the starters, but or I'm, excuse me, it's Diggs and McDougald as the starters, and they just try to work in uh, Blair just because he deserves that playing time. Hmm. Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider. We'll come back to what's coming this week, which is a trade deadline in a moment. I think the segue there will be the loss to, uh, the loss of Justin Britt. Uh, it, it appears as if he's done for the season. Joey Hunt came in there, did the best that he could. Not bad. Uh, the run game, I thought, was a real hidden treasure from Sunday's win over the Falcons. You know, for as bad as the Falcons' defense statistically was, one of the worst in the NFL, especially against the pass, the defense was giving up 3.7 yards a carry run defense. That's sixth best in the NFL, and the Seahawks came in there even without their center and really stuffed the ball out. Them 33 carries, 151. Carson got his. Penny got his. They averaged 4.6 yards a carry. So this was a real fine effort on the ground for the Seahawks. But what about Britt? What about Hunt? What about the trading deadline? What about the tight end situation? What about the pass defense you know, John Schneider has never been hesitant to do something before a deadline. I would think he's going to be a very busy guy uh, between now our recording time of episode 63 and the trade deadline this week, Brady. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. And, and they have to do something uh, at center, you know, even if it's not a trade, just because, you know, Joey Hunt is the only offensive lineman that they have, at least on their 53-man roster, um, who has experience at center, you know, because Ethan Posick also does, but he's on IR. Uh, not eligible to come back for a while. Um, and aside from that, you know, Britt was one of only eight off, or is, I guess, technically still one of only eight offensive linemen on that 53 man roster. That, so that was already a, a position where they were short numbers wise. So um, we're going to see them make a move there um, at center, uh, whether it's via trade or, or something else like that. And, um, you know, I thought that after they, they acquired Quandre Diggs, I, I, 
thought that, you know, there's a very good chance that that's not the last move they make. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, trying to predict what the most likely position is that they could trade for. Um, and I think we said center a few weeks ago. Well, that certainly seems a lot more likely now. Um, still have nine picks, I believe it is, even after uh, that Quandre Diggs trade. So, so they should have ammunition there. Uh, another name to keep in mind there is, is they've got Phil Haynes, uh, the rookie fourth-round pick. They expect him to come back off a of PUP at some point, uh, maybe even within the next couple weeks. But he's a guard, so that does not fix the center problem. So is there anything left to do, Brady, than just hope that the pass defense just gets better, that Flowers gets better and gets in there, that the pass rush, which showed a little bit of life in the Atlanta game, Clowney got home a couple of times, and uh, some people got, got in there. Quentin Jefferson didn't play. Is it? Are we just left as Seahawks fans just to say, hey, we just got to hope that what they have right now is just good enough and gets better and improves and, and gets them where they want to be? Or do you think they need to go out and, 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 I don't know, go get Patrick Peterson? I don't know. I'm just throwing names out there. Well, I mean, in terms of pass rushers, it's just hard to imagine that you know a real impact guy um, is going to be available at the deadline just because those are, are such a precious commodity. And unless you're the Raiders and you want to trade Khalil Mack for whatever reason, um, it, it's just hard to imagine somebody like that being brought in via trade that's really going to make a difference. So um, I think that you know what what they can do is uh, hope that Jaron Reed makes the, the difference that they you know thought that he was going to make, um, which is certainly plausible. Just because when you when you figure you know without him they were asking really sort of they were kind of asking miscast guys to rush the passer. Uh, talking about Al Woods and Puna Ford, who that's not their strength. Those guys are run stuffers. And so um, maybe you saw some of that, uh, you know, in that game Sunday with Reed uh, being back there. Maybe that made a little bit of a difference. Um, you know, the, the other positive there is that Javion Clowney, you know, for all the, the talk that we've had, uh, I am just as hashtag obsessed with the pass rush as you are. And, um, <laughs> you know, for all of the talk we've had about that being a disappointment, and it has been, Javion Clowney has been pretty good. And you saw him, you know, his sack on Sunday – came on a three-man rush, uh, which you don't often see the, you know, the offensive line having a six-to-three advantage and, and a guy still you know, beating his, uh, his blockers the way he did there. So um, I think they, they count on Ziggy Ansa, you know, getting into a groove at some point and, and count on uh, Jaron Reed to make a difference and count on Jadavion Clowney to, to keep doing what he's been doing and, and actually having something to show for it like he did Sunday. I think you said pretty darn good. Pretty darn good equaling give him his money? Give him all that money, 15, 16, 17 million a year, or not that pretty darn good? Well, it, it's, it's hard to say what it's going to cost him just because, um, you know, he's probably going to be looking for a deal, something similar to what, you know, Frank Clark, Demarcus Lawrence got. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of deals are out there uh, just because, you know, he has two sacks eight games in. So he's, it's going to be, he's going to be hard pressed to finish with double digit sacks. Um, then again, as I mentioned, he still is getting pressure. He still is making those impact plays. So, you know, the other thing about that is, remember, they agreed to not hit him with the franchise tag after the season. So Correct. that takes away one, um, you know, the fallback option that they would have if they weren't able to get, uh, uh, weren't able to agree to a long-term deal. So um, I don't think that they acquired him necessarily thinking that he was going to be just a one-year rental. Um, and we're just going to have to see. I mean, I, he's certainly, if, if the price tag is $15, $16 million, I think John Schneider would do that in, in a heartbeat. I just don't think it's it's going to be that cheap. Brady, what about the guys that were inactive on Sunday against the Falcons? Diggs, Jefferson, Flowers, Procise. I guess the Bucks are next. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are next uh, for the Seahawks. 
uh, which of those guys, if, if not all of them, might be ready to play? I, I would think Diggs would be ready just because he did practice uh, last week. He was limited, I think, all three days. Uh, but he did practice, and I think part of him being inactive was just a matter of, look, you know, he, he, he was limited in practice in a week where he's trying to learn a defense on the fly, so he's probably not going to be of much use there. Um, so I would think that he's got a pretty good chance. Um, I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to say with Jefferson. Um, and with ProSize, that that's going to be an interesting one just because, um, you know, Rashad Penny ran the ball pretty well. Uh, in that game on about Sunday. Flowers. Pete Carroll talked afterward. I'm sorry. How about Flowers? Pete said that um, I think the his answer was that they just didn't want him. You know, he didn't practice last week because uh, of that stinger, and they didn't want to put him in a situation where he had to um, you know, be hitting guys with a neck that they weren't quite sure about. So um, I would think that he's got you know, a decent chance, but um, you know, it's always you always got to wait until Wednesday to really have a good idea yeah. uh, just to see if those guys get on the practice field. Tough receivers are coming. I mean, I don't know much about this Bucks team, but Bruce Arians loves to come in there and, and spoil the Seahawks' plans, and uh, he brings a Bucks team that does have some uh, talent on the at the wide receiver position. All right, so wrap things up. We're halfway home. It's Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I, I think you'll agree. Had you offered Seahawk fans or Pete Carroll or whatever six and two in the first eight, you take it. I, I, th- I don't think anybody would have would have tossed six and two back in the water, especially when you consider one of the losses is an AFC loss. So as Mister Postseason would tell you, AFC losses are not nearly as troubling as NFC losses. I just don't think any of us counted on the 49ers being this good. So are they in? Are they in the NFC West race, really and truly? Or are they at the top of the wild card race in the NFC through through eight games? Oh, I, I think they're absolutely in it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're you know, only one win, two losses behind the 49ers uh, with both of those games still to play. And um, certainly that Monday night game at, you know, in Santa Clara in a couple of weeks is, is going to be a tough one. Um, but, there, you know, there's a lot of football left. And, and that's, you know, if you take a look at that 49ers schedule, um, I, I believe that gets harder as the season goes on. And so, um, and you know, you, what else do we know about the Seahawks? We know that they are a pretty good team uh, in the second half of the season, especially in December. So I, I absolutely would not count them out uh, of the NFC West race, even though, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's the, the, the first half has been pretty dicey. And, you know, I added this up Sunday, um, you know, four of their wins have come by a combined eight points uh, and only one of the teams that they beat, you know, entered, uh, this past week with a winning record. So still don't really know how good the Seahawks are. Uh, but what we do know is that they're they're not in a bad position at 6-2. and two. They're not in a bad position at 6-2, and two, and they've got a pretty good quarterback who uh, that's what you want, right? You need the quarterback. They've got the, the MVP candidate quarterback who had another 131 passer rating in limited opportunities on Sunday. Only threw the ball 20 times, but still came up with the two touchdowns and the 131 passer rating. There he is. Brady Henderson. Brady Henderson in Atlanta on episode 63. I look forward to visiting with you after the Seahawks hopefully beat the the, the Buccaneers. I guess I got to ask you, what does the Brady Henderson index think? You don't think that the Buccaneers are coming in here, although I'm not sure we thought the Ravens were coming in here and winning. You think the Bucs are coming? You think Jameis Winston's coming in here and winning? No, no, I'm going to keep it brief and say no. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, you made the point earlier, Bruce Arians has had a lot of success. Uh, at CenturyLink Field, so you know he's going to be as confident as ever. But um, I, I just I think this is a, a game that the Seahawks certainly should win uh, and will win. Look forward to episode 64 with you, Brady. Thanks so very much. You bet. Thanks, Mitch. Take care. 
And there he is, Brady Henderson, with his weekly visit, this time from Atlanta, the ESPN, ESPN.com Seahawks insider. Your Seahawks are 6-2 and two after beating the Falcons. Next up, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday at CenturyLink Field. I'm finally starting to hear from Mitch Unfiltered listeners that they're calling Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage, and they are already saving money like Steve Dion, our executive producer. Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland office team of Gill Mortgage waiting for your phone call to help save you money. You hesitated, and on some level, you've already lost because rates have inched up in the last month or so, but still lower than they were a year ago. So stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are in the midst of your mortgage. No starting the 30-year period over. A refinance gets you out of your mortgage insurance, which is costly, and also can put some money in your pocket for those home improvements or remodels that you've been looking at. There's only one thing that you should not be doing, and that's just sitting there unwilling to at least take 10 minutes, a 10-minute phone call to find out your options from the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. 425-250-3150. The worst thing that can happen is that after 10 minutes, you find out that you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side, and that's what I bet is going to happen, you'll find out that you can pay less each month with a refi of your home from the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. One more time, 425-250-3150, Jordan Flowers, and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Ohio State, one-sided. Wisconsin, their heart's been taken out of their chest. Here's Fields over the middle! Touchdown, Buckeyes! 27 yards! I'm going Notre Dame. As much as I like the improvement I saw from Michigan, I think Notre Dame is still a good enough team to go on the road and win this game, and I don't think there's enough dimension to the Michigan offense to confuse Notre Dame's defense, so I'm going Ian Book over Shea Patterson. Oh, Patterson, pump breaking, why not throw to the end zone, Collins, touchdown! And Michigan begins to pour it on to the Irish. I think Auburn's going to give LSU a whale of a game. I think it's the final possession game, but I'm still going with Joe Burrow. He will, and he's going to score. Touchdown, LSU. Fireside Home Solutions. I've been seeing trucks all over our neighborhood in the last couple of weeks. Fireplaces, garage doors, nice barbecue areas. Fireside Home Solutions brings you our weekly chat with Rick Neuheisel, who joins us to talk college football to CBS. And I know... All of us, Mr. Neuheisel, all of us football fans are heartbroken over the Oklahoma loss to Kansas State. Jalen Hurts stuffing it down Nick Saban's throat in the playoffs seems somewhat out the window at this point, or or is it not? Well, I don't think you have to give uh, Oklahoma up for dead. They certainly have put themselves in a uh, precarious situation, uh, but they still have a, a, a conference title that they can win. They control their own destiny there. And I think that uh, we're going to have a little bit more chaos before it's all said and done. We haven't rounded the corner into November. And as you know, Mitch, the games they remember are played in November. (laughs) 
But when the when the committee, the the infamous, and I call them infamous, the infamous committee sits down with one loss teams. You know, we are conditioned, at least I am conditioned as a college football fan, that they that their eyes immediately turn to the SEC. If we're going to start considering one-loss teams, let's start in the SEC. Which SEC teams have one loss? And maybe they'll go to the Big Ten. Maybe they'll go to the, I don't know, the Big 12. Is Oklahoma going to be able to be a significant enough one-loss team uh, to make it into the Final Four? It's going to be a hard road for them, I would imagine. It will be a hard road. Uh, But, again, we know that there is much more football still to be played. Uh, Minnesota. If they knock off Penn State and then Penn State gives Ohio State a loss, I mean, we can create scenarios that will uh, yeah. that will keep everybody afloat. Yeah. Ultimately, I think a one-loss conference champion, just as I believe the Pac-12, if they produce a one-loss conference champion, that conference champion will be in the conversation. Yeah. I will get there in a second. I have that on the list. But as you told us, Ohio State crushed Wisconsin over the weekend, and the college football universe is abuzz, Rick Neuheisel, over Chase Young, a Buckeyes defensive end. Did I read this right? Four sacks, five tackles for a loss, two forced fumbles and a partridge in a pear tree, and he drove the bus home. And I mean, what? Did, and, 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 and the Columbus faithful, the Columbus faithful want him to win the Heisman. Now he should win the Heisman as a defensive player. Everybody's talking about Chase Young. What do you know about him? His nickname, all you need to know, Mitch, is his nickname is the Predator. Okay, he's a six-seven, just beautiful specimen of a human being that wreaks havoc. And uh, in this era of zone read or a read defender where you put your eyes on a guy and say he can't do two things at once, he has oftentimes this season proven you wrong. He can do two things at once. He can tackle the back that you think uh, he should have tackled. Uh, and then you see him go for the back and decide I'm going to run around him, he redirects and still gets uh, the quarterback down for a loss. He's a unique specimen. He will be a top-flight draft choice, if not one, then two, uh, unless, of course, quarterbacks go there. But uh, a coveted uh, player at the next level, no doubt. His coach has said he's better than Nick Boza, who's uh, wrecking Sunday afternoons for quarterbacks around the NFL these days, Rick. Yeah, no, he, he's, uh, I think, a little longer than uh, Nick Bosa. Bosa's uh, an explosive athlete and uh, terrific at what he does, but this guy has a little bit longer extremities, which probably gets his hands up in quarterbacks' faces, the ability to, to get underneath a uh, uh, edge rusher where you're trying to run around like the hula hoop. He, he's he's unique athlete, let no me, question about it. Let me put you on. I'll put, put you on the spot. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this, but I'll I'll put you on the spot. Who was the best defensive front four lineman in college that you ever had to coach against? Somebody that you just had to figure out game plan and figure out who was that monster on the front four of an opponent for you? Entman. Entman required all sorts of, uh, you know, attention. The, the great nose defensive tackle for Washington back in the uh, Don James, Jim Lambright era. Uh, he, he was absolutely a wrecking ball. Uh, Junior Seau, when he was at uh, USC, they would wander him around, and you always had to have an a, uh, idea where Seau was. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when he was uh, wreaking havoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a number of uh, great players that have gotten uh, our full attention, but those two guys come to mind immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, before we get off the Ohio State win over Wisconsin, Badgers, <clears throat> Badgers players, I hear, are their collective noses are out of joint because both Ohio State and Illinois rubbed losses in their faces by playing their jump around theme music that they blast in Madison. They they played it in both uh, Champaign and Columbus the last two weeks to to make fun of those Wisconsin Badgers. Did you hear that? Yeah, well, yeah I've heard it. I don't know <laughs> what to do about it. Uh, when, you make, when you make a big scene about uh, the jump around, it, it, what do they call it? The kids put people on blast or yeah. something like that. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know what, uh, what to make of it. Uh, when, you, when you have a big song, be ready for them to play it if they find uh, they've got your number. And if you complain about it, be ready for them to play it even louder the next time. Yeah, Rick Neuheisel brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions with six great showrooms from uh, Bellevue down to Portland. Fire f- Fireplace season is football season, vice versa. I think the craziest ending of a game that I saw, Rick, was Kansas against, I think it was Texas oh Tech. Oh, my. Uh, Kansas, oh my. for our listeners. Oh my. listeners the, Hatter, who <laughs> the, hat, the Hatter pulls one out of his proverbial hat again. It's uh, unbelievable, Mitch. Uh, this one's unbelievable. Uh, I don't know whether our listeners saw it, but I'll try to, maybe you can help me, I'll try to describe it. They're lining up for a field goal. A 40-yarder that gets blocked, and it goes past the line of scrimmage. And the school of thought is when the ball, a a block kick travels past the line of scrimmage, you have to treat it it as if it was not blocked at all. Right. Otherwise, if you touch it, it becomes a fumble. And in this case, the ball traveled, the guy caught it, and then tried to lateral it (laughs) to no one. And in lateraling it, he, he basically put it on the ground. It becomes a fumble. Kansas fell on it and then lined up to kick what became the game-winning 32-yarder. And ironically, it was Texas Tech that had stopped the clock at 13 seconds to to give themselves a chance to do something heroic should he make it. But there would have it, it's it's the ultimate ultimate. <laughs> I can't believe I just saw that. If you're the losing coach in that one. Now the guy's name that you said is no one. What 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 number does he wear? No one. The guy that they that they. No, uh... no one was wearing zero. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what he a pitched it to, to zero. He pitched yes, it to exactly. no one. Did you see? Uh, well, you did because you were in the you were in the studio. Did you see? Uh, Mac Jones and Alabama's uh, backup quarterback's performance over the weekend, and will that give Nick Saban a reason to continue to rest Tua until he's perfectly ready, hopefully for the LSU game? Well, uh, I thought the Alabama team performed as I thought they would, given that uh, Saban was going to go down into every position group and say, look, I need your best this week. They don't have our quarterback. Let's get better this week. Let's per- Let's see if your position group – can win the game by yourselves. He, you know, it wasn't so long ago he had a defensive uh, front seven that created 15 touchdowns by the defense. So he could walk into a defensive team meeting room and said, I need scores. And, and that's why you such an ex- saw such an explosive effort by that Alabama Crimson Tide team in the absence of their quarterback. That being said, Mac Jones will have a great seat just like I will in Tuscaloosa <laughs> as Tua Tungavailoa returns to action 
on November 9th. That uh, tightrope procedure and the doctors who performed it, uh, are, I guarantee you, it will, uh, he'll be ready to go. I don't know what percentage he'll be, but uh, I, I think our crew will be there. And uh, in so being, I'll be able to give you some uh, up close and personal what I think. But I think we're in for a whale of game, one versus two. Joey Burrow and LSU took care of Auburn over the weekend, just <laughs> as they as they needed to do, as you told us that they would. But you also said yep. that the, it'll be a close game. So if there's a lot of points, take Auburn plus the points. You were right on the money on that one. Yeah, I, I thought that Auburn was definitely uh, uh, formidable defensively. And they proved to be Derek Brown and company pushed the pile, but Burrow, despite being harassed and having to move and shuffle and, and avoid all sorts of uh, traffic in there still ended up 32 of 42. And as the great uh, contestant on card sharks, card sharks once said uh, in terms of how I feel about Joe Burrow, I'd like to go higher, Bob. I mean, the guy is so good. I really, really love this kid watching him play, and I'd like to go higher, Bob. I'd like to go higher. Uh, did you go higher on the eights, or did you go lower on the eights? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> See, you and I are both afflicted enough that uh, we know actually what we speak of. Yeah, I, I hated to see an eight. I just I wanted kings, kings and twos, but no eights, no eights. Oh boy, uh, Rick Neuheisel is our is our guest. Okay, uh, so here's how the way I look at it. You you correct me if I'm wrong. If it were today, which it's not, because as you say, November hasn't even started yet. My guess is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU have kind of separated themselves a little bit. But I asked the question, who holds it? I, I, I always want to know, okay, who controls their own destiny? Who can say, what coaches out there can say to their kids after eight weeks or so, if we win out... We're in, no question. And we know that Penn State's in that situation because they've got Ohio yep. State and they can go undefeated with a win over Ohio State and go to the Big uh, Ten championship game. And I think we also know that Florida controls its own destiny because Florida could beat Georgia even with their one loss and beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. I would think that Florida controls its own destiny. Is there anybody else I'm missing? And where does that leave the Utes who come to Washington this week the Utes are playing great football I think they're going to win the game against Washington I think they're going to run the table I think they're going to beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game and post 12 and 1 what about that Utes team that doesn't have very many non-conference signature wins like only the win over BYU I think what about it all the Utes and Oregon both need help just as we discussed Oklahoma earlier but Baylor Minnesota if should they run the table would both get, would both probably figure in, unless there were four other undefeated teams. Uh, even though Minnesota and Baylor's non-conference records are definitely suspect, the fact that they'd be undefeated from Power Five conferences, I still think gives them a chance to be in the in the county. Uh, and I would also put Georgia. Should Georgia take care of Florida? Mm-hmm. Despite the uh, loss to South Carolina, mm-hmm. I think a victory over an S, uh, you know SEC West champion, whether that Alabama or LSU, would still put them in. I'm looking at your slate here from last week. You were you were fine. You said Auburn plus the points, but LSU will win. I'll give you a little bell that I have. 
my uh, sophisticated equipment here. Uh, Beautiful. Uh, you said uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin's uh, DOA at uh, at Columbus, and you were right uh, about that. The only one that you really led us down the wrong path was Captain Khaki Pants, Coach Khaki's. Uh, you had you, oh, you had you had me thinking Notre Dame. You said I think the words were I don't care how many points it is I'm taking Notre Dame over Michigan. You were well wrong about well, that one. Yeah, I was vastly wrong as was anybody that believed that Notre Dame was going to look good. That was the worst performance by a Brian Kelly team I can remember since they only won four games in a season just a few years ago. That uh, was woeful. They didn't look like they wanted to be out there in the inclement weather. Michigan was very comfortable, and I think Michigan found some rhythm. You know, over 300 yards rushing. Shea Patterson threw 12 passes. I think the lean on the defense in the running game, and you say to Josh Gaddis, hey, all that fancy high-flying passing stuff, put that in uh, your back pocket. Let's pound the ball and see if we can't uh, follow this script, uh, whether it's raining or not. And I think Michigan's going to be formidable. This is the kind of game – where a team kind of buys in, they drink the Kool-Aid, if you will, it will not shock me that Michigan plays well all the way through the Ohio State okay. game. So you're 2-1 and one on your picks last week on Rick's picks, which is very good, 67% by my Syracuse math. I'm going to push you. I'm going to make you pick. I know you're going to pick Washington. The dogs are only a two-and-a-half-point underdog. Utah's no, I'm not. Gonna, you're going to pick Washington. I'm not. Okay. No, I'm going to take Utah. I'm going to take Utah. I, I don't know that Washington, first of all, their third down offense is woeful. Yep. Uh, I think this, this uh, Utah defense is definitely uh, championship worthy. I think uh, they have a great running back in Zach Moss, and I saw what Stanford did to Washington running the football. And despite the fact that I love Washington and would like to see them uh, have a great game, I don't think they're up to it. I don't think their team speed is what it once was, so I'm going to go with the Utes in this one. All right, and then the other game that I'm going to ask you to pick, and we'll finish on this one. You know, I grew up in the great state of Florida in the uh, 70s and 80s when the Miami Hurricanes hardly even had a football on team. On the fact, golf team with Jack Nicklaus' son, nah, as I recall. Yeah. You don't have to bring that up. <laughs> my, my one match. Uh, but I, I, don't even th- I don't even think that Miami had a, uh, had a football team. I think that they... It was. It was. They, they certainly didn't have a basketball team. If they had a football team, it wasn't very good until Schnellenberger came along in that great Nebraska Orange Bowl. But the game that we all Jimmy Kelly. No, Bernie Kosar. Bernie Kosar was in there. Bernie Kosar in the in the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Kelly before him. That's, That's right. right. That's, That's right. exactly right. The game that we all thought about as kids growing up watching college football <clears throat> was the greatest outdoor cocktail party. That's what we used to call it. The greatest <laughs> outdoor. Co- I think Lindsey Nelson was the was the play by play guy and. Herschel Walker making plays, and Emmett Smith was in that game. And there was a – I can't remember the receiver. I want to say his last name was Scott, a Georgia – Lindsey Scott, the, yes. great, the great announcer uh, for Georgia. Yes. No, I'm talking, uh, about a, I'm talking about a wide receiver named – I thought his name yes, was – Yes, that's who it was. Yeah. The, the, I'm saying the great commentator for Georgia. What was his name? The uh, – they put a hobnail boot in him. Run, Lindsey, run. That's exactly right. Lindsey Scott. Buck Baloo to Lindsey Scott. That's right. That's who threw the pass. That's right. <coughs> That's right. What, and what was the longtime coach of Georgia for years and years and years? What was his name? Vince Dooley. Yeah, Vince Dooley. Vince Dooley. Dooley. Yeah. Yes. 
we have the uh, the next chapter of that game. I don't know if that game is as big as it used to be. C- clearly, I'm out on the West Coast now, so I don't follow it as closely. We've got Georgia, a slight favorite over Florida. I'm assuming they still play it in Jacksonville. And uh, I need a pick. They, from, have, they I need a do, pick from and they've just signed a deal to continue to play it at least through 2023. Okay. All right. Tell me what's going to happen. Well, I think it's a great game. I think at the beginning of the season that uh, Georgia probably would have been a 10 to 14 point favorite. I would. I haven't seen the line. You probably have. I would guess that it's, it's probably four. It's four. Georgia. Georgia by four. Yeah. So it is obviously come way down. Georgia has looked vulnerable. Their offensive coordinator, a new play caller for them, recruitery extraordinaire, but uh, still a little wet behind the ears as a play caller. James Coley, I think, is trying to find the right match between run and pass. Mm -hmm. They got way over their skis in their loss to South Carolina, throwing the ball 51 times and, you know, having three interceptions and then went all the way down to 12 passes in some bad weather against Kentucky, uh, although they won the game 21 nothing, I, I, I see this as a Georgia game because I think they will dominate the line of scrimmage, I, but I see it as close. I see it as probably uh, – I, I, I tell you what, I will take Florida in the points there. I'll take Florida in the points. I think Georgia wins by a field goal, but it wouldn't shock me that Dan Mullen, who I think is the best game day coach – in the SEC, game day manager, I think uh, he would – it wouldn't surprise me he finds a way to okay. win it late. Episode 63 with Rick Neuheisel presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Thank you, Rick. Have a great week. Have a great weekend of college football, and we'll talk to you on episode number 64. How about that? I love it. I'd like to go higher, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rick. See you, man. The man, the myth, the legend, Rick Neuheisel, a weekly visit every single week, joins us on Mitch Unfiltered. Question, were you one of the several thousand people that filled out a bracket in our first ever Mitch Unfiltered March Madness? Evergreen Golf Call was the presenting sponsor and gave away three incredible all-expense-paid trips as prizes. Question, did you pick a golfer in the Mitch Unfiltered Majors Challenge because Evergreen Golf Call again stepped up and presented the bucket list trip to Pebble Beach with me to play golf. When I started this little podcast journey, CEO Tyler Hay contacted a mutual friend of ours, John Benz, and said, tell Mitchie whatever our team at Evergreen can do to help get him going, we're in. Headquartered in Bellevue with offices along the West Coast, Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley, been growing people's money in a thorough and fiscally responsible way for oh so long, omnipresent in our community with charity involvement like the Boys and Girls Club, and now the developer of a new online program to help those of us with limited savings get that same level of expertise as their high-wealth clients have been enjoying for all these years. It's called Evervestment. You can try them out at evervestment.com. So whether you're saving for your first vacation home or the first day of retirement, Evervestment can help get you there. Evervestment from Evergreen Golf Call. Unfiltered. Prosecutors have filed additional charges against 11 parents caught in the college admission scandal. Actress Lori Loughlin and her husband are among those who have already pleaded not guilty, but they are now facing an additional charge that could add years to a potential sentence. It's called Operation Varsity Blues. You've read all about it. We haven't discussed it at length here on the podcast, but I think that should end 
here on episode 63. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Joey Garrison, the USA Today national correspondent who's all over this, I think in the Boston area, joins us now to tell us on the latest and greatest on this story that has in many ways, Joey, captured the nation's attention partly because of the actresses involved, Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman. We are sports people on this podcast. I'm a sports guy. I don't know if you're a sports guy, but sports people, Joey, we need statistics. So kind of lay it on us. What are the numbers in terms of people charged, breakdowns, parents versus administrators? How many have pled guilty? That sort of thing. Yeah, let me just give you a lot of numbers here. We have 52 overall defendants who have been charged, and that's uh, an increase of two from the original 50 who were charged uh, uh, with crimes back in March when this case uh, was broken open. Of those 52, 29 uh, have pleaded guilty, and 19 of those uh, guilty pleas have been parents in the case. In other words, parents who, who uh, paid the ringleader of this uh, national scheme to cheat their way into, into a school or cheat on the ACT and SAT. Of those 19 parents, uh, and 10 of those parents, 10 of those 11 so far, have gotten some degree of prison. Um, so only one of those has avoided prison. So there's, there's a, that's sort of the breakdown right now. How'd the one avoid prison? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting uh, take the judge had on him. He, Peter Santorio, he's a uh, individual who, uh, whose company actually makes uh, uh, a microwave a burrito that is popular. Um, he paid fifteen thousand dollars, but the, uh, to have uh, Singer have somebody cheat on his child's uh, uh, entrance exam test to get them into the school, but the money wasn't made, wasn't given to the sham nonprofit that the that Rick Singer, the mastermind of the scheme, had set up. Instead, it was a cash payment, and the judge drew a distinction there, and he got probation, but didn't end up getting prison. What's happened to Rick Singer, the leader of this, and we'll talk a lot about him and kind of explain to the people that aren't really, really informed on this story, but just have seen the headlines. What's happened to Rick Singer? Yeah, uh, Rick Singer, I mean, he is cooperating with prosecutors. He has been from the beginning as, as part of his guilty plea, and yeah, he has not been sentenced yet, and I assume he's going to be the last one uh, to be sentenced. And there's going to be a question of whether he goes up there and, and test that. I would assume the prosecution will want him to testify against some of these parents if they go to trial. Um, right now, uh, you know, several of the parents are, are still pleading not guilty, still digging in. That includes Lori Laughlin, the famous actress yeah. uh, who was on Full House uh, back in the day. Yeah. You know, and I think you know, as that case proceeds, which would go into 2020, I mean, I think they want that they're not going to sentence, I don't think, him until um, uh, until all that concludes, because, I mean, they want to have him available as a very important sort of chip in, in this uh, as this goes forward. Those that have pled guilty, Joey, it seems like there have been various length sentences. They're very modest sentences. Huffman's already in and out over, what, 11 or 12 days. Do you find, as you sit in the courtroom and you and you follow this, what's the rhyme or reason to the time of these sentences? So excluding the, the individual I just said who got uh, no prison, uh, the prison terms have, have ranged from uh, two weeks with Huffman uh, all the way up to five months. Now, the main distinction the judge has uh, drawn is between those who paid, like Huffman, to have somebody uh, either cheat on 
uh, change answers on the ACT or SAT or, or actually take the test for their child. She's given uh, sentences, the judge that is, uh, of one month or less for those people. She's given higher sentences, longer sentences for parents who paid more money to have their kids uh, tagged as fake athletic recruits, yeah, yeah. either you know, fake uh, soccer, volleyball, crew, rowing recruits, uh, to get tagged as a uh, to order to slip through a side door into uh, a university. The judges said that action, the recruitment scheme there, actually took a seat away from a otherwise deserving child, and she sort of uh, said that's a, a worse crime. Now the government argued. Rick Singer would charge his clients for that, for the recruitment scheme, a lot more money. That would cost, you know, sometimes two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, sometimes half a million, uh, uh, um, compared to the uh, test testing plot, which would be more between fifteen thousand and seventy-five thousand. Right. But and so the judge, or the government argued, prosecutors argued that the judge should be giving much greater sentencing sentences based on those higher dollar amounts, but the judge actually dismissed that argument, but nonetheless is still saying that there is a discrepancy based on the which type of cheating, but she's not using that dollar amount as a distinguishing factor. Well, as an example, uh, Laughlin and her husband, if I got this right, donated a total of $500,000 to a bogus charity, Singer's Bogus Charity, to get her two girls are their two girls admitted to USC? We're uh, we're talking to Joey Garrison of the USA Today. So, what's your best guess based on what you what you've seen so far and the examples that you've seen so far? If if Laughlin were to let's say plead guilty before she ever sees trial, is she and her husband? And I want to ask you about that because William H Macy is the husband of Felicity Huffman, and he seems to be uninvolved. Maybe he didn't have any knowledge of what was going on in his own household. What what is Laughlin and her husband? What are they looking at if they were to plead guilty? Do you have any idea? Well, I mean, it's hard to say because again, uh, there's an individual, for example, who you know got five months for uh, for a similar similar scheme and four months for in prison for similar schemes, but they had pleaded guilty in deals with prosecutors, which tends to get you a somewhat lenient, more lenient sentence. So you would think it would be, uh, but so it could be longer than that. But then again, the the judge has been using a, a guideline uh, structure, which sort of uh, helps judges form uh, their, their finer, final sentencing in federal cases. She's been using guidelines that max out on a six-month limit for some of these crimes mm-hmm. um so it's really hard to say but and, and then that's where that new charge i just came in uh the, the federal uh um, right. programs bribery charge yeah, in because yeah, that, yeah. that could exceed beyond that six month limit mm-hmm. and so it all depends which you know if it were to go to trial and what on what counts the judge finds them them guilty of i mean i i, I think i do think it's safe to say that uh, it would certainly be a longer sentence than then uh, Huffman ultimately will depend whether she would be found guilty or not guilty. Yeah, this has been a story that's obviously been around for many, many months, and it's been all over the front pages of all the newspapers, including including your own, the USA Today. Take a guess at the nation's level of interest if this scandal did not have the actresses' names and pictures across the front. Would it be as... As fast, would the country be as fascinated? Would it be as as covered as it as it has been? 
Well, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think that has helped bring attention to it by having kind of two public faces to it. Um, but I, I will say I'm getting a lot of uh, I've been getting a lot of feedback on, on all sorts of, uh, you know, in every angle that I run. Okay. Who's hearing I go to? I mean, uh, Hoffman's sentence uh, was she, she got her sentence back in I think September 13th, and every one of the parents who've came after her, she was the very first to be sentenced. And all the parents that have came after her have had packed courtrooms in there of media, uh, wanting to see how this case uh, how how it unfolds. And so, this was such a historic, uh, you know, this is the largest admissions case that the federal government uh, has ever prosecuted, and it was, and I think people were appalled. Uh, people, meaning the public, seeing the very rich, uh, wealthy, privileged in this country, uh, finding this uh, real hidden, you know, hidden scheme yeah. that nobody knew about except for them to, to, to get their kids into school. And I think, you know, I do think it would have, uh, you know, resonated no matter what. And I think uh, it definitely has. And I, it, it's been, you know, I mean, it, so again, it, sometimes. I mean, it's been a very dramatic uh, case, and, and I think important case to see uh, to see played out in, in court. With the examples of those that paid Singer to uh, put together athletic, you know, fraudulent athletic portfolios, that would have involved Singer yeah. Singer to have uh, obviously something going on with the universities as well. There's a university side to this as opposed to the other half yeah, that we're just are, getting SAT. Right, right, yeah. right. So uh, in, in the grand scheme of things, have have the schools themselves paid the price for, for their involvement in those schemes? Well, none of the schools, uh, of course, have been charged with anything. And in fact, uh, the schools have said that they are, uh, and the government has agreed that they are some of the victims in this case. They had uh, seats uh, of their schools taken away from undeserving students. And what the schools have argued is that they were uh, employees there who were acting on their own as co-conspirators with Rick Singer and not not the schools. The most involved school in terms of kids, uh, uh, students whose parents paid to have them fraudulently get in there would be uh, USC, the University of Southern California. And, you know, I would say, I mean, easily the most of these, uh, I don't have a full number for you, but, but they are the greatest represented school in terms of just cases uh, where they're involved. And, and uh, they're also the school that had an actual um, uh, athletic department official, Donna Heinel, who is still pleaded not guilty, uh, involved in this case. Now, there could be in terms of have they been affected, perhaps, you know, it's been certainly not a uh, uh, a PR. It's been a bad PR hit, I would say, for them in terms of being in the news constantly for this. But they've, you know, there's not been a, uh, a hit in terms of uh, a legal penalty for that for any of the schools, including USC. I'll finish with this: Joey Garrison on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline from uh, USA Today. I come at this Joey as kind of both an interviewer and a parent of a high school senior who happens to be applying to a handful of these schools that you're talking about, including USC. And I guess what all of us want to know is, are we to assume that for every one of the 25 or 30 that got caught, there's other Rick Singers out there, and there's hundreds or thousands of kids unfairly taking up spots from guys like my son, movie mogul Max, gosh darn it. Well, that's a good question. Who knows how 
uh, you know, frequent this has been, uh, or whether there are you know similar operations that have ever up uh, been out there. Now, I'd, the judge has purposely given prison sentencing. Uh, sentences to these defendants, she says, as a way to deter the public uh, from doing these kinds of things. So clearly, with the prosecutors and the judge are trying to send a message, um, you know, some people are looking at the, the scene that these these sentences are not not long, but, you know, these are hard. Uh, it's hard to get long sentences with with some of these uh, with these uh, crimes here. And so, you know, whether I think that the you know the prosecutors want this to be the beginning of the end of, of this kind of activity, um, you know. But it, it, this definitely did lift the curtain on a on a on a way to get in college and a uh, operation that's out there that I think a lot of people had no idea existed. And so that's going to be remain to, to be seen in the heading forward whether whether a few other operations are uncovered like this or whether we, you know, we discovered that years ago there, there were more operations yeah. like this. It's yeah. something I just don't know right now. Yeah. Operation Varsity Blues. Joey Garrison of the USA Today, the national correspondent. You can follow all of his work, and he'll have every step of the way as we move along in the future on this story. You can follow him on Twitter at Joey Garrison. His name, J-O-E-Y-G-A-R-R-I-S-O-N. Joey Garrison uh, on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks very much, Joey. Thanks for being a part of the show. We appreciate it very much. Sorry, hey, thanks a lot for having me. Joey Garrison, USA Today national correspondent, Operation Varsity Blues. Unbelievable over the last six or eight months. Felicity Huffman just got out of jail. Lori Laughlin and her husband could be going to jail. Incredible. We'll talk a little bit about the Houston Astros mess off the field, not the World Series, off the field and how they botched that thing up here in a moment. Who could go for a piping hot slice of the Pacific Northwest best pizza today? Would you please take a look at the kitchen sink pie at Zeke's? Pepperoni, Canadian bacon, Italian sausage, chicken, mushroom, I don't like mushroom. Black olive, green pepper, tomato, fresh garlic, spectacular. And while enjoying, you'll not only be supporting the Northwest Homegrown Pizza Company, founded in Queen Anne in 1993, but one of the biggest reasons why I was able to get on my feet and make this podcast possible. Zeke's Pizza, celebrating the adventurous spirit and the natural affinity for craftsmanship that makes the Northwest great. Zeke's dough is made every morning in its kitchen on Finney Ridge, delivered fresh daily to all 17 locations. Locations. Every pizza is hand-tossed when you order it. If you wanted to watch a Huskies game or a Seahawks game with a fabulous pizza and a craft beer or two, it's an easy call. Try them. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. First of all, apologies to Stephanie and to the rest of the people that were involved in the incident. We have separated with Brandon Taubman. He's no longer an employee of the Astros. His behavior was inappropriate and not representative of who the Astros are and our culture and what we stand for. Let's talk about a very, very embarrassing situation for Major League Baseball and the Houston Astros as the Astros are trying to win a world championship. Joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is Evan Drellick. He's been on before. Terrific writer for The Athletic, The Business of Baseball, 
Evan, on this Astros embarrassment, the assistant GM fired after what sounds like just a reprehensible scene in Houston in the celebratory locker room post-ALCS. I guess the latest chapter is the Astros owner sending an apology and a retraction to the SI writer Stephanie Epstein after completely discrediting her, the organization, with the team's original statement. Kind of pick up the story from here, if you would. Well, in the biggest of pictures, I think it's a, a question of of culture and how much does winning baseball games matter above all else. You know, if if you are kind of putting in policies and, and a vision where the only thing as a as an entire business that, that you're prioritizing is success, however you measure that success, and in Houston, it's a, a lot like a lot of other places, it's money and wins, uh, you know, dollars and victories, what can you forget? You know, it, it, it's about almost not what, a, what an organization does care about, but what it doesn't, what, what it's choosing not to care about when it sets out and begins its everyday existence. You wrote a terrific piece describing the Astros culture the last many years with people both on and off the record a little bit. Um, I know it's a long piece. It's in The Athletic. I applaud it. I recommend all of our listeners who are subscribers, if you're not, become a subscriber of The Athletic to read it. I know it's a long piece. Let me ask you, if you would, to verbalize to the best of your ability just kind of a summary of what's been going on in the Houston Astros organization all these years, something that maybe has been known within circles, within baseball circles, but those of us that are just baseball fans would never know about this. The Astros always appeared to many uh, inside the industry, so that's players, agents, coaches, uh, you name it, media, uh, executives, people working on the business side of teams, uh, you know, people who kind of knew baseball and have been around it, saw a team that made them raise their eyebrow. What are they doing over there? Uh, and it was about the human element and just how people are handled. And that was an easy thing for the Astros to knock down for a long time because, you know, they were doing something very different. So people are just averse to change. You know, they talk about the basics of their model, uh, you know, bringing in all the analytics and stuff like that. Oh, it's people who are jealous. There's always kind of a plausible deniability for what people were unhappy with. But that unhappiness never went away. And the Astros always kind of posited that once they would win, that would fix everything. Because, again, that's their kind of bottom line outlook. It, it is, it's everything is done with that in mind and everything else you kind of deal with as it happens. Um, but that didn't do it. And I think what happened with Brandon Taubman, the Astros at least owe it to themselves to, to consider the possibility that, you know, he looked at a reporter in that way as, as, as someone who, who needed to be proven wrong because that's, that's what their mindset has always been. You know, it's always break boundaries, take it a step further, take it a step further, push, push, push. Well, at some point, you got to be able to, A, put in boundaries and B, kind of care to. It, it, it has to be in your programming or you just become this, uh, this machine that doesn't really care how you're, how you're dealing with human beings. So, there was this loud din that always existed inside the baseball industry. And now all those questions about, well, how do the Astros treat people are on a much larger stage because this, this all happened uh, and not only in the world series, but I, I think people outside of baseball are paying attention now. Uh, so it was just a different way for everyone to see it who might not have previously seen it. 
Uh, Evan, outside of this incident, can you speak more specifically when you say the way employees were being treated? Uh, why? How was it? More specifically, please. How was it bad? How was the culture bad? And were were employees running, running away, and going to different organizations, or were they sticking it out through all of this? No, they've lost employees. Um, one directly told me that they left because of the front office culture. A couple told me that they were aware of others who had left for the culture, but I wasn't able to put an exact number on, on how many had left. And, and sometimes it's a little more complicated, right? So maybe somebody ends up being fired, goes to another place and looks back and says, wow, that, that culture was toxic. But you know, one employee, uh, and these are all baseball operations people, and I did talk to a couple who were outside of baseball operations as well. And I also talked to people who were still there. You know, one of the effects of writing the story is that people who – uh, you hadn't talked to, but have known or, or maybe not even known well, will reach out to you and, and say, by the way, that's 100% correct. And I got a lot of those responses, too. Uh, but the, the, the story being told is of a place where, again, there's no priority put on how, how employees are treated. You know, it, it, For example, people would, would get titles in other places that they would not get in Houston. Uh, those titles are closely guarded. Why? Because... With titles come money, and the way the Astros were designed and built was to be very efficient. Um, so that's just one element of it. You know, but money's not everything. But even the nature and the style of the work, everything could often be very secretive, highly competitive. You know, it sounds like like big business, and that's that's the point. That was the point of Jim Crane and Jeff Luno. Jim Crane's the owner of the team who made billions in logistics. Jeff Luno came from uh, a management consulting background. He was at McKinsey. It is that they wanted to bring a sort of hyper-efficiency to baseball that did not exist previously, but the people who, who now lived through it, uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure some have loved it. You know, one did defend it to me. They, they defended how the Astros treat people, but the vast majority at this point that I've ever talked to about it see it as dehumanizing, cold, go down the list, and uh, the kind of thing that could contribute to what we just saw happen with a high, highly ranked executive in the organization. Right. And beyond what happened in that locker room, obviously the aftermath and how terribly it was handled. I'm assuming you're going to tell me Major League Baseball is going to step in. I mean, for those of us watching from afar, the GM that you just mentioned was asked if he had apologized to the writer. This was in a press conference where the writer was actually present. And he said, no, I've been too busy. And then he went on a flagship radio station, the GM did, and, and, and didn't ever mention the shameful statement attack of the credibility of the Sports Illustrated writer, uh, only talking about how the assistant GM erred in the handling of the situation in the locker room. Uh, what's, what's next? What comes from the from Major League Baseball? I'm assuming you're going to tell me they're going to they're going to wait until they can get their showcase finished. Uh, they don't want to distract. They've already got a huge distraction from their their marquee moment during every Major, major League Baseball season. What do you expect and when from Rod Rob Manfred? Yeah, of course they're going to wait. You know, I think they've, Rob Manfred's already said as much that they're not going to put their punishment forth, whatever it might be. Uh, until after the World Series, and even Astros people, even before Game One of the World Series, kind of uh, right when this was fresh, the uh, response was, "Well, we're here to play baseball," and some of these were, were background conversations. But 
even Jim Crane, the owner, when he finally spoke to the media and with a brief comment to the extent of, yeah, we're, you know, we want to win games. We want to play the World Series, right? And that's what everybody is trying to circle it back to. And ultimately, they'll probably be successful. That's the way it goes. You know, media gets guilted into thinking, well, you know, we've covered this long enough. Games are going, et cetera. Um, what MLB actually does in the end would be very interesting because Jim Crane uh, is a powerful owner inside baseball now. Uh, you know, he's been around long enough. He's been successful long enough. He's, uh, he has the ability to be loud when he wants to be. And you know, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, he represents the owners. You know, the, when you start dealing with, with really ownership level issues, which, which making a mistake, this is, you know, this isn't about one assistant general manager. This is, uh, these are questions the Astros have to pose with at the highest levels. What's MLB going to do? Going to come in and say, Jim, you built a terrible organization here. Oh, by the way, a terrible organization that wins a huge number of baseball games, right? And, and that's where the conflict is so stark. You know, they are good at winning baseball games. It's just whatever else they forgot, which to a lot of people, to some people, matters. Whether it matters to Jim Crane and Jeff Luno, evidence says it doesn't. I don't know what Rob Manfred can do. I don't know how far he's willing to go. If I were betting, I bet it's not that far. What do the other owners want? Are, are the other owners, do we have any idea what the reaction to all of this? You're obviously painting a picture of the other owners knowing about this all these years. I, I guess that in, in and of itself tells us that they don't care that much. Well, it's a good question as to how much other owners knew of, of what was going on there and how much they would care. I, I can't speak to that. I can't say how much um, other owners or aware of kind of that lower level discussion going on, you know, because I think their, their view and their outlook can sometimes be at a different level. You know? I mean, I, I think owners aren't always aware of what's going on in their own organizations. Right. And, and it's, it's very much team to team and situation to situation. Um, and, and they have a huge amount of pull and power. The one thing that was expressed to me, particularly by some veteran PR people inside baseball, because a lot of these mistakes here were PR mistakes. It was some absence of planning or consideration for how these moments would be handled. Uh, you know, somebody, even if, if you drop the ball in a situation like this, well, it, it's because somewhere along the way you chose not to plan for it, right? You chose, you, you made decisions that all added up to what you're dealing with now. And, and it was expressed to me that particularly in PR, it reflects the owner, you know, how much the owner cares, what direction you want to go in. Um, you know, the fact that the Astros could not get right the statements they are putting out publicly repeatedly over and over in these in, in egregious and embarrassing ways, in ways that, uh, you know, one person who's still in the organization said, uh, called it a joke. Another person uh, called it um they were just they were just flabbergasted at, at the fact that it got out, you know. Um, and those are people who are there, right? These aren't people who who are outside the organization. Um, it, it again speaks to that ownership level question, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know that um, the other twenty nine owners were paying attention before in quite the same way. But everybody has to be paying attention now. It's sad because we've got a uh, we've got a great World Series. We've got two terrific stories in the World Series, especially the Washington Nationals, I think. And all of this obviously just leaves everybody with a bad taste in their mouths as, as we watch the World Series take place. Uh, Evan Drellick from The Athletic, a great writer. It's a great piece. Congratulations. Well done, but it's not 
all in all, a surprise to me because your work is terrific. Thanks for being back with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks, Mitch. Appreciate it. Unfiltered. And trust me, she'll like it too. Oh, jeez. I think I'm going to call for a free sample and see, see what it you does went to around, me. You went around at the beginning of the podcast when Jason D was in that chair. We must have spent like four shows, no no kidding, four shows on um, uh, on the guy from Sh- Shantix, the Sh- what's the guy's oh, name? Oh, from Goodfellas? Yeah. Yeah, Ray oh, Liotta. Oh. I know, but. We spent like four shows talking about how creepy, first of all. There's no way he quit smoking. Right. No Second of all, <laughs> that backyard where he throws the ball to yeah. the dog is just weird. Funny. He's weird looking. He's just free. I mean, the whole thing was uncomfortable. So we spent a lot of time, and I have been sitting here every time, every time Frank Thomas comes on a is it new? What, what is it called? Is it Nugenics? That sounds right. Okay, I'll look it up. It's testosterone, right? These are testosterone tablets. What are they? Well, I don't think it's illegal. I don't think it's legal to just take excess testosterone. That's like a steroid. It's probably some other cockamamie thing okay. that they say works. Yeah, but every time, every time he comes comes on and says, "I'm leaner and stronger than I've ever been," and I like hit the pause button and I yell, "Frank, you look like a house." <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, it, it just called a uh, new. Well, it says ultimate testosterone. I'm surprised yeah, it's testosterone. I think it is. But the the, the Shantix thing. Trust I, me. God. Chill like it too. The Shantix. Have you? I mean, you've heard the side effects, or potential side effects. Well, from they it. rattle them off, and I don't even pay. It's like I mean, rectal you, bleeding, and I'm just oh, like, oh, Jesus. good lord! I, part of me's <laughs> like, just continue to smoke. Take your chances with lung cancer, for God's sakes! After hearing so many side well, effects. You, well, you have you ever tried? Sh- I mean, you, you. What do you eat? What are, what are these things? It's just a nicotine lozenge, but it doesn't make me want to go kill somebody, or it doesn't like have any weird. Side so, what effects. makes Shantix better than that? What makes what Ray Liotta's taken better than what you take in the in the midst of Mitch Unfiltered? For me, nothing. I don't know why everyone who's trying to quit doesn't just do what okay. I do. Right. So I don't know. Right. Uh, before we wrap up the the Seahawks, who are six and two, let's see if I have anything else that 4-0 I didn't know for the first time on the road since 1980. How about that, four zero, and their next road game. I'm, I, what, what are the? I think they play the Buccaneers. They play the Buccaneers this weekend, At home. and then the next road game after that, I believe, would be Monday night, November the 11th. Oh, that's is there a buy in there? No. Oh, I guess I'm no. Out. I think it's Ugh. Buccaneers and then 49ers. It'll probably be seven and two Seattle against eight and no San Francisco on Monday night, and it will be a ferocious scene in Santa Clara, California. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember that we've talked about the game the Seahawks won in New England like three years ago, maybe? It was six out of the blue. They went oh, in New yeah. England. Oh, yeah. Okay. D- oh, yeah. If they that beat- was the CJ Procise game. Right. Yeah. If they beat the Niners in two weeks or whenever it is on that Monday night, which is bigger? Do you, like, which, <sighs> which would surprise you more? See, I got to go back. It's hard to go back and remember how I, exactly I felt about the Seahawks at that moment when they went to that Sunday night game against the Patriots and where the Patriots were. I can pretty much guess where the Patriots were. So I can't, it's hard for me to answer that question. Okay, because I'm I was pretty shocked. On that I was shocked when they... Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember being... <laughs> like I, had I remember thinking no there's chance. no chance. Right. So maybe maybe <laughs> very similar. And, and, and I don't know. A lot of people would say, what do the 49ers have done? What, what, what have they really done? This is the first year that they're really great. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, but they're not messing around with people. They're no, not barely winning. That's no. what scares me. They're beating the crap out of people. Right. And physically oh. dominating them. 
Yeah. It was so yeah. fun when those Harbaugh teams started getting dismantled every week. Another guy would just retire, <laughs> get hurt, Alden Smith well, back. gets arrested. The 49ers are back. With Richard Sherman, by the way. How about Justin fun. Britt out for the season with a knee injury? I wasn't sure if it was the season, but it, that's I what they were reporting bad. on Sunday. It was uh, out for the season, the injury. You could, almost could tell he knew his body. He was shaking everybody's hands. You could tell how emotional he was on the sidelines. And now you got, as I call him, little Joey Hunt as the uh, the center. I would think with I think isn't the uh, trading deadline? I think the trading deadline is this week. I think uh, your buddy John Schneider will be working the phones even harder than he normally does, and he is a relentless phone worker uh, during the trading deadline. Uh, I could see him going out and getting a center. I could see him going out and getting a tight end. I could see him going out and getting a cornerback. I don't know how significant Trey Flowers' injury, but they've got to do something. Here's the thing. They've got to do something about the about the pass defense. I keep saying it, and I don't see them going out and getting more pass rushers. I mean, they've got they just gotta hope that right. Ziggy Ansah and Jadavion Clowney and Quentin Jefferson and, and Jaron Reed, they start getting home more. I, I don't think they can do anything about their defensive line and certainly not gonna do much about their linebackers. So the only way to help their pass defense, I would think, is maybe go out and see if you can find a veteran stud corner on a team that's struggling and rebuilding who can come in here and 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 you know kind of cut off one side of the field and let Shaq Griffin play the other side of the field. Maybe that person's Quandre Diggs. No, it's not. <laughs> I, almost, I almost said it with a straight face. But... No, it's not. Uh, Are you no, sure about not. that? Yeah. You seem pretty I'm, beloved in I, Detroit. I, I'm certain that <laughs> – here's what I'm certain. Okay. That a guy who's beloved in Detroit as a safety – who by pro, pro football focus was the 52nd best safety in the NFL yeah. is not the corner that I'm talking about. That's no, what I'm pretty sure. But he's good in the locker room. Everyone loves oh, him. Oh, wow. I, yeah. I have to hear that again. Yeah. Everyone loves him. I have a quick penalty question for you. Sure. I got an answer. I'm Mr. Penalty. Was there a time when, let's say there's a penalty on each side, somebody gets a 15-yarder, somebody gets a 5-yarder. Was there a time in our lives, I feel like there was. Where they weren't equitable? Well, they would walk off the 15-yarder. And, and then, then walk by, back the five? Right. Yeah, I think they did do that 100 years ago. Now, no matter what the penalties are, they offset now? Is that, is that the rule? Because that, that, that doesn't seem fair to me. I've always wondered that. I'm not sure the answer. I think, that there, I think most of them offset, but there may be I don't know why any a, a couple offset. of extenuating circumstances, like a 15-yarder after the play. I, I, I'm talking out of my ass now. Okay. I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm kind of guessing, but I, I, I kind of think that they're, they don't all offset, but like 75 or 85% of them offset. But there are certain penalties, I think, maybe even after the play that they don't offset, but I don't know. They I don't should, know. I that's like a good question. They should walk them off. And whoever comes out, comes out. If somebody gets a five-yarder, somebody gets a 15-yarder, the 15-yarder yeah. gets off great. While you're talking about officiating, yeah. did you see uh, what happened in the Buccaneers-Titans game? No. Did you I, know that I was going to – which one well, were you thinking? I, I what just, did you think – where did you think I was going? Well, the, the face mask on Russell Wilson. Like, oh, my God. Is this game not – I told you it's ungovernable. Why can everybody in the country see that but except for the guys on the field? And they're not allowed to review that. Right. That's, a, Why? that's a non-reviewable. You want that being – you want that review too? If it's that obvious. Well, I think if his head is completely turned around at the end of the play. <laughs> yeah. If he's talking out of his ear hole, maybe something went on there. It's like, how about the, but, but what's worse is the Bucks in the All right, go on. You didn't see. No. Uh, I can put this, I can put this on the Facebook page. I do that at the end of each show. I try to, things that we refer to, I put them on the Facebook page. Well, it was it was the the Buccaneers were down twenty seven to twenty three in Nashville, Tennessee. Tennessee had the lead, and they were trying a field goal. Okay, 
and they ran. I don't even know why. Don't ask me. Please don't ask me why, because this didn't make no sense. Okay. Up 27-23 with a couple of minutes to go. They're, they're lining up to kick a field goal to go up 30-23. to 23. It's a big mm-hmm. field goal. Sure. They run a fake. Don't ask me. Okay, I won't. It was like fourth and two, fourth and three. I'm Very watching. Worth it. I was watching it at the time. They decide to run a fake. They want to hold the ball. They don't want to give the ball to the Bucks. I guess that's the reason. They want to run run the clock out by running. And it's the old. It's the old. Let the the, the holder. The, fake the kick and then he runs around the corner the holder runs around the oh, corner never well the could. holder runs around the corner he needs two yards and they just blow his ass <laughs> up the bucks do oh typically the holders aren't the fastest guy on the team i don't know if you've been around football uh, much or yeah, not correct okay they just <laughs> destroy this guy yeah and on the way down the ball pops out the bucks pick it up and they run 75 yards for a touchdown the go-ahead score and the official blew the whistle down oh my god they won't stop doing that why don't they err on the side of the play That's what they're supposed to just let it go let it and go then and we'll then talk we'll about sort it. it yes why do they, they do that they blew the whistle the guy clearly when he was getting blown up the ball went and they blew it dead bucks would have had a pick well, it's not a pick six a yeah. defensive touchdown win the game or probably win the game and uh, they get screwed anyway so the titans ended up winning titans ended up winning Good Lord. I'm telling that's you. That's the Bucks team that's coming here on Sunday. This game, it's they can't govern it. They, 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 can't, they can't do it. They just aren't able to officially, properly officiate this right. game. They just can't do it. I got one for you. Did you hear that Michael Bennett was traded to the Dallas Cowboys midweek? Did you hear that? No, but on the last show, I meant to ask you if there's any interest in him as a Seahawks. I know no. they were not really loving no, he's him. Done. He's done here. What did you think when you heard Mike? Well, you, well I didn't. You, yeah. <laughs> you're hearing it now. Yeah, I'm hearing what do it you now. think? Michael Bennett was. What happened to Michael Bennett? Yeah, I, I, I was going to ask Boy, you. He was, just, there's another one. I, were we all in denial about all these guys? It's funny. When they were all on our team, when, we, when, when the Seahawks were boasting the best defense, we loved it. Everyone hated the Seahawks, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Because they would not only beat your ass, but then talk Tell crap you about, about it. it. Yeah. yeah, People hated Richard Sherman. And we all used to say, at least we did on the radio, oh, they don't really know the real Richard Sherman. People used to bust on Michael Bennett. Oh, they don't know, really know the real Michael yeah, Bennett. Earl People Thomas. Used to, Earl Thomas. Yeah, they don't know. These guys are great <laughs> yeah. guys. And we would just That's like funny. laugh at other people that were, that just snarled at these like they would call these guys poor sports and just bad guys bad character guys and we were all like they don't even if they were out there when I I'm and I'm pointing at myself I'd go out to these uh, training camp and do the show the radio show for the training camp and I'd say and I'd laugh like people don't know these guys are great guys now we hate them too (laughs) I know know. Richard Sherman's like Michael Bennett How about the Vegas thing with Michael Bennett? Yeah, Do you remember weird. that? Yeah, yeah. Turns out he lied about all of it. Yeah, he was called. He was accusing the accusing the Vegas police of of uh, brutality, police brutality, police brutality, yeah. and race, racially targeting and everything else. Yeah. And then it turned out when we started seeing the films and starting to hear what the real story is that he, they was that he was not telling the truth on a lot of the aspects. He said they, they had guns in his face and there were no. I don't know. What happened to Michael Bennett? Although it start again, like Richard Sherman, it started to go bad here. Hmm. It didn't it didn't start after he left here. Do you remember do you remember the Bill Wixey Michael Bennett thing? I don't. Were you around for that? I don't think I was. I mean I was here, but do I was. You know who Bill Wixey is? Yeah, T V sports guy. Yeah, well, I think he's news, sports, he's okay. both, but now he's on Q I think he's on Q thirteen. Good so guy. I don't know him very more well. news than sports. Cancer survivor? Okay, Remember yeah, I, Michael I, Bennett lighting him up in the 
locker room after a game. That does sound familiar. He yeah. was like, what have you ever overcome? You're a wuss. You've never overcome anything in your life. And he's a cancer survivor. Right. Oh, God. And people were like, oh, no. Yeah. I mean, he, these guys went south. And I don't want to put kind of Earl Thomas in that group, but a lot of these guys kind of went south on us. Why do you not want to put Earl Thomas in that group? He's flipping off the, the sideline on his way out of the stadium. That's going south. That's that's ugly. That's about as bad as it I gets. guess it's because I can somehow, in my warped mind, and it's warped up there. You don't want to be anywhere yeah. up there. I can almost differentiate between Earl Thomas shooting the finger. He didn't get a contract. He was being carted off the field. His his season was over. Another season-ending injury, which was like the second year in a row. I can almost – that was like one – is there Empathize anything else? Was there anything else in Earl Thomas – I mean, with can you? Cha- I can I can differentiate between that and the Richard Sherman yelling at at uh, oh yeah at Moore and ta- I'm going to have your credentials taken away and screaming at and just I'm better at life than you yeah, to the one guy yeah and yeah. then Michael Benny what have you overcome in lying in Vegas with the see I I don't know yeah, okay. I, I can al- I can almost separate Earl Thomas from that stuff but. So, Michael Bennett, to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, Dallas Cowboys. Anything left in his tank? Nah. He's done? Yeah. With his little tiny shoulder pads? Just loves to go offsides. Anybody go offsides more than oh, him? Oh, God. Except for Jadavion Clowney on Sunday. <laughs> who went, by the way, Jadavion Clowney on Sunday, remember he went offsides twice in three plays? Yeah. Go back and look at the middle play, which is, it's funny, the middle play, he blew the running back. It was a great play. Do you remember the play in yeah, the yeah. backfield? Go back and look where he's lined up. Oh, he's lined in up. The middle. <laughs> totally. Should have been offsides three straight plays. That's got to break some sort of a record or tie some sort of a record. You're right, though. It was a lock of the year, a lock of the week, that every game Michael Bennett would get called for lining up offsides. Every single time it felt I don't like. think it was lining up offsides. He would Something. Just, he would try to anticipate the snap. He would jump he the was, snap He would all, totally jump the snap <laughs> count. And it, it always seemed to come in really bad bad moments for the Seahawks. It was always like a first down. It ended up being a first down, right. like third and short, yeah. or whatever. What do you got? You got excited anything? that Shroud is coming to Mixer? You love Shroud? I don't know what that is. <laughs> He's an eSports gamer, so you know how Mixer got Ninja. Yeah. Now they have Shroud. He was Am like, I supposed to know who Shroud is? No, he's like, uh, your son. You're joking around. Maybe. So Microsoft's I've got two moves. sons, by the way. They both know these yeah, things. Yeah, but one is more of a gamer than yeah. the other, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Kind of so. so Microsoft's making big moves. They got Ninja, and then they got Shroud, who's like the third, arguably. Are you slave. over here using the, the Mitch Unfiltered podcast to... Yes, to, to plug the place I work. Is yeah. that what I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was big news. I don't know if you saw Shroud I don't know who on Shroud, Twitter. I don't All know right. who Shroud is. I'm sorry. Big news. I know Trey Young. The guy on Twitch had 6.9 million followers. That's a lot of followers on Twitch. So Microsoft just grabbed him. So there you go. How much? I, it's never clear on what Ninja or any But you'd like to know. By the way, I'd like to thank Ninja for streaming during the Forza Racing Championship. Thank you for that, buddy. Our viewers just went... I mean, you can't compete with that. He's got 12,000 people well, watching. Isn't it all the same team, family? Can't you tell him, don't do that? Well, I... I if I he's a I Microsoft guy now, can't you say, hey, we don't want... I don't think he has a want- cubicle at uh, RTC5. Well, I mean, no, just, I don't can't know. somebody like say, here's our schedule. <laughs> yeah. We don't want you. Please stay out of these windows. Can't you tell That's above my Ninja what the hell to do? There are, there are people around there that do that. Do you know the name Trey Young? I just mentioned Trey Young. Young. Do you remember Trey Young, the little point guard, like at Oklahoma, who plays for the Hawks now, starting a second season? God, this guy Trey Young. 
he was like a he was like a, re- a revelation. He was like a sensation when he was in college for the one year. Little guy shooting from all over the place. Kind of he looks like five ten, five eleven. They say six one. He's not. Okay. And then he was a high high draft choice. And I was like, there's no way that guy is not going to be a great NBA player. He's a great college player because he's a gunner and he's little and tiny. There's just no way. And now he's in his second year in the NBA. He's played two games of his second year. First game, thirty eight points, nine assists, seven rebounds. He's like five eight, five ten. <laughs> 38 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds. But in the second game, he had 39 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds in two games. So, and he's like, he looks tiny, and he shoot, He doesn't shoot three-pointers. He shoots from like 5, 7 feet behind the three-point shot. Crazy. He doesn't want to get anywhere close to the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he and probably so, has to. He's so short, he'll get it blocked. Maybe he's got a backup. It's unbelievable. The, the guy is making me look like an absolute moron every single night in the NBA. Not that I need him to do that, but I just want to make <laughs> So you're going to pull your resume away for your NBA scouting job you applied for last week, <laughs> yeah, talent I scout? <laughs> I haven't got any calls back on that, so on my, those resumes. My college football dream was crushed over the weekend when Uh-oh. Oklahoma went down. So there will be no Oklahoma. Is there? I was going to ask you, is there any way Oklahoma well, I, makes I, the playoffs? I, I haven't. Well, New Heisel was already heard on this episode. Yeah. I haven't, at the time of us recording, asked him this yet because okay. I'm doing it later. But uh, You will ask him. I would think that there's still an outside shot. Yes. Well, you can ask New Heisel. He had the Huskies in the, after their, in the playoffs. I think there's still an outside shot. What you're asking is no, Oklahoma asking. runs the table, mm-hmm. and they win the Big 12 championship game, and they finish 12-1. and one whether they could somehow get back in to the playoff. And I would think that there is a set of scenarios where that could happen. It's probably not very likely, okay. but there's a scenario where that can happen. God, I just thought for sure Oklahoma and Alabama would be They playing. just laid the, a miserable leg against Kansas State. Kansas State? Kansas State. Come on. Kansas State. And remember, she'll like it too. That's right. I haven't forgot. Dogs, Utes, you think your doggies are going to take care of business nope. this Saturday? I have no faith or confidence in them. I'll root for them. I'll watch the whole thing. I'll love it, but I have They're no They're two confidence. and a half point fa- uh, underdogs, and I would have thought that they would have been five or six point underdogs. By the way, Utah beat California. What'd I tell you? 35 nothing. Yeah. The team that came here and beat the Washington Huskies on that crazy night with the thunder, the, and, the all thunder that, and all yeah. that stuff. They, they, the, the Utah, I'm telling you now, I told you this last week, I'll tell you again. Utah's better than Oregon. Utah's the best team in the Pac-12, and that is going to be a ball buster of a game for Washington to win. I would be very surprised if Washington wins, even yeah. though they're only two-and-a-half-point favorites. You did Utah. say that, and Oregon struggled against the Cougs yeah. and won by two. So. Last second field goal. Last game, play of the game. Field so you, goal on the last play of the game. You might be right about yeah. Oregon yeah. being a little yeah. overrated. Yeah. Do you happen to see you, Darvish, troll Justin Verlander? No, but I heard about it. Tell me. It's so great, only because he did it 544 days after Verlander took a shot at him. Now, I know. He was, he's, it's like he's been waiting two years, Omar, you know, I guess a year and a half to get back. Now, it was in fun. I don't think they're mad at each other. So, you, Darvish, hits a shot, and he could have got a triple, but he sort of was chugging around the bases. You, Darvish, hit a shot? Yes. The, the, the pitcher. He, he had a great hit. Like okay. in a regular season game. Okay. Are oh, you talking about 500 days ago? 544 days ago at yeah. the time of this. Yeah. And then he he thinks about going to third, but then he stops and he slips and he gets back to the base. He, just, he so looks like a pitcher running that, the That's base what back. Verlander said. Yeah. He said, essentially, uh, you're not doing a lot to dispel the myth about pitchers not being athletes. Okay, you Darvish said nothing to him. Yeah. I don't even know that you Darvish could understand. Yeah, Does well, he speak English? Clearly he can. Does he tweet in English? Yes. Okay. He, at 544 days later, Justin Verlander went for a ball fell on his back 
you might have saw it. It was recently. And he, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He hit his shin. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, it looked terrible. You Darvish sent the exact same tweet right back to him. <laughs> Hey, Justin, not doing a whole lot to dispel the myth or essentially. Uh, I thought that's great. I love that he waited. I, he maybe just, he had no plans of ever getting back in him, but the fact that he said nothing and then shot that to him because he probably knew it would happen eventually. Do you think you was doing anything in these 500 days besides like standing there waiting for, for <laughs> No, Rolander? I think he's just staring at his Did computer. he do anything with his family or anything? Did no. he go out to eat? Did no. he have any breakfast? No, no, he had like at that time? four screens on, <laughs> just you know, wait, checking Twitter. Just waiting yeah. for Verlander yep. to do something so he could send this. That's right, and Very finally good. he got to send it, so that made me laugh. Very good. What else you got? got anything else? Yeah, I got a feel-good story of the day. I don't know if Oh, we don't have an athlete of the week. I never did an athlete of the week. Well, this, this might do it for you, but I really okay. want to give credit to Stephen Pinto and Daniel Paniagua. They're a part of this company called Studio Nero. They help people with disabilities enjoy things that a lot of us just take for granted. So mm-hmm. they helped this kid with skateboarding. They built a skateboarding rig for him. He has cerebral palsy. So it's like, just picture like a cage made out of like, uh, I don't know, like piping. Okay. So they put the kid in the, ca- in the cage on a skateboard. He's secure in this cage. And his mom took him to a skate park. You've seen a skate park, right? Sure. And his mom is pushing him around pushing the cage around with the kid inside and he's loving it absolutely loving it it's the first time he's ever got to skateboard because he has cerebral palsy wow. so i thought that was really a cool thing i mean she's pushing him up the ramp and back down and do you have the go. video can you send it to me so we can put it on the facebook page? yes i have the video and i will send it to you i thought that was pretty awesome well, you gonna remember to send it to me i don't remember a lot of stuff yeah but i'll try can to you work just on do this. it yeah do it yeah all right we'll put it on the facebook page did you see the seahawks elevator replay the guy made I'd like to put that on the Facebook the, page. The too. elevator play? It's the funniest thing in the world. It's the Seahawks the, elevator play? Elevator replay. Oh, he, no. He created a Seahawk replay in an elevator. Okay, he's got a sticker of Russell Wilson up on the left side. Who's he? Some guy. Just on, some, on Twitter. Some fan. Yes. Okay. A picture of Russell Wilson, like they're holding the ball like he's going to throw. He taped a little football, picture of a football, on the door. So when the door shuts, it looks like the ball's being thrown. <laughs> and on the other side is Tyler Lockett ready to catch it. It's amazing. It really does look cool, and I can send you that link if you care to. I thought that was pretty funny. The, the shit that people do, you know, it just makes me laugh on Twitter. Yeah, speaking of you, Darvish, sitting around, like, not doing anything, that's what, else, that's what everyone's doing. And yet it got your attention. It got my attention. Probably got a lot more than just your attention. I yeah, thought it was it hilarious. We'll put it, we'll put it on the Facebook page. Awesome. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. So who is uh, – we're finished. I guess we're finished with episode 63. Who are we going to name it after? We're not going to name it after Jeff Taze, who I told you was a Washington lineman. Picked by the Miami Dolphins. We're not naming it after Nick Bebout, the 1976 expansion tackle draft of Jack Patera's Seattle Seahawks. Who's uh, Jack Patera's brother, by the way? You remember his brother? Mm-mm. Oh, you didn't watch wrestling? No. Ken Patera. The I don't know WWF. who Ken Patera is. Oh, okay, sorry. Go ahead. Should I know who Ken Patera is? He was good. He was a good wrestler. Yeah. yeah. Go on. Uh, I would say that the greatest 63 of all time comes down to th- two guys. They're both, uh, they're both NFL players. The great Gene Upshaw, sure, who played Raiders. offensive lineman, a Hall of Fame offensive yeah. lineman for the Raiders, and, and he, then later years became the NFL PA executive in Washington, D.C. 26 years he led the players in negotiations with yeah. the owners. I have a funny – I actually have a, a – a, I knew him a little bit because he was stationed in D.C., and when I was working for James Brown and uh, Tony Kornheiser, he would come in from time to time. We'd get him on from time to time. He knew those guys, whatever. And I just remember one time I went, like at 24 years old, to the to – the, uh, 
one a steakhouse, the Palm. Do you ever heard of the Palm Steakhouse? Yes. I mean, anything? I don't I've think we, it, I'm not yeah. sure that we have one in Seattle, but they're around the country. Mm-hmm. The Palm Steakhouse, fancy schmancy steakhouse. I went to the Palm Steakhouse in Washington on a Saturday night. I don't remember who I was with. Maybe my wife, my now wife at the time, my girlfriend, and we showed up on a Saturday night. And it was just like a line out the door trying to get in the Palm. And for some reason, somebody had called for me to get me in. I walk in. Gene Upshaw, the NFLPA executive director, is standing there with his wife. Hey, hey, Mitch, how you doing? And I say, good, good. They take me right in. They, I, <laughs> <laughs> right by him. Right by him. He's like a Hall of Famer. He's in charge of the players. And I, I, you could actually hear him oh, say, God. what the hell? <laughs> and it got quieter and quieter. I just, yeah, walked, I, I just walked right to our 26-year-old. Yeah. Not even 26. Producer. Like 23. Oh, that's hilarious. Just a producer. Just went right to my table. And he and his wife were sitting there. I think he might have even been wearing his yellow Hall of Fame jacket at the time. <laughs> God, I hope he was. That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so I would say he's the runner-up. The great Willie Lanier, number 63 linebacker for the Chiefs. The great Willie Lanier. Was he part of like the first two Super Bowls? Like that oh, era? Yeah. Ten okay. straight years on All-Pro. Ten years in a row. Uh, he was an All-Pro for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a great linebacker. One of the great linebackers of all time. I think better than Gene Upshaw was an offensive lineman. So, ladies and gentlemen. Not related to Bob Lanier? Definitely not. Size 22s. Uh, I remember that commercial. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Willie Lanier uh, is the is the name. The Seahawks are 27 to 20 victors over the Falcons. They've got the Buccaneers this weekend. They start the first half of the season 6-2, and two, which is not as good as the 7-0 and 0, uh, San Francisco 49ers, but still pretty darn good. We'll take it. It's half, to, it's half of 12-4. and four. Yes, it is. 12-4 yes. would be nice. And episode uh, Willie Lanier is in the books.